It is three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. What is up? B.J. Bennett here with you alongside Ben Troop, Cam Urshry here as well. We are glad to be with you. We have a busy show as things stay crazy in college football. There's more news to get to. Been a, been a hire within the last couple of hours in the ACC, and we're going to cover it all for you. Today on the show, we will chat with a Georgia legend, former All-SEC quarterback, 2005 SEC Championship Game MVP, DJ Shockley, of course, with the Bulldogs Radio Network. We'll get his thoughts on Saturday. Uh, Georgia is the favorite. Georgia's being picked by just about everybody. How does DJ feel about that? Obviously, he had one of the great performances in SEC Championship game history in 05. We'll also talk with former Gator great Tate Casey. Won two national championships with the Gators. Caught the jump pass from Tim Tebow. He's on the Gators Radio Network. Billy Napier in as the head coach at Florida. Uh, how does Gator Nation feel about that? What are the expectations right away? Uh, and we will also chat with Scott Carter, FloridaGators.com, about that hire. But Ben, we're 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 trying to follow all the news as it happens, right? You're talking about uh, coaching changes. You're talking about the transfer portal. I mean, every time you hit refresh on Twitter, there's something new. But I think the story maybe of the year from a coaching standpoint is that Brian Kelly with Notre Dame on the verge of possibly making the college football playoff leaves Notre Dame for LSU a 10-year $95 million deal with a chance for up to $15 million per year with incentives uh, leaves his team again with a chance to possibly make the college football playoff. I want to get into some of these salaries. I want to talk about uh, some of the headlines we've seen in recent days. But Ben, your reaction to a coach leaving a team in the top 10, potentially a playoff team, leaving Notre Dame, which we have not seen in modern college football, to go to LSU. What's your reaction to the Brian Brian Kelly news? I was I was shocked for about like a second, and then I realized, BJ, this is about being able to uh, update your resume, and it's about being able to, you know, uh, you know, uh, add to that bank account, add to the prestige. What else can Brian Kelly do at Notre Dame that he hasn't already done outside of winning a national championship? He's an all-time winningest coach in uh, Notre Dame history. He just left. He now he just left the biggest brand in college football. But BJ, once again, Lincoln Riley leaves to go to SC. Do you add Brian Kelly? To the SEC. Now, Oklahoma obviously isn't in the SEC yet. So, I mean, BJ, I mean, when you think about what you said, though, I remember when $2 million to $3 million a year for a coach was just like, wow, he got right. paid what? Now, 10 years. This is a, but this goes back five years ago. Jimbo Fisher leaves Florida State, $75 million to go to AM. And Nick Saban obviously has written in his contract every time a coach you know, makes more to him, uh, they have to either do the top three coaches or the top five. Dabo Sweeney, he resigns, I think, for like 90, 91, 92 million. Then it happens. Mel Tucker, 10 years, 95 million because he had Michigan State ranked in the top five. Obviously, this comes a week before he obviously got, you know, the breaks beat off him by Ohio State. But if you were LSU, we said this, BJ, you had to get a big name. Couldn't get a guy that was up and coming. Couldn't get a sexy, you know, old, old offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. It had to be an established name. I don't know if you can get a bigger name attached to a bigger brand than Brian Kelly. Yeah, I, 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 Ben, I think it's stunning. I mean, not to interrupt you, but I think the fact that you were able to go to Notre Dame. Yes. I think uh, there have been various tweets that the last time a coach left Notre Dame for another college job was 1908. Wow. So that's like before commercial air flight. I mean, that's a long time ago. 
and yes. you've seen it happen. Now, the money is the money. I mean, you're going to get probably over $100 million. When you reach some incentives, could get $15 million a year. But what's your read on leaving a team that theoretically, some things have to happen, I think you would need a couple of losses, but theoretically could get in the playoff and win a national championship this season? I mean, if you're on that Notre Dame team, do you understand it? It's, look, the money's there. I would do it too. I get it. Or are you looking around going, we have one loss and we might be in the playoff? Kendrick Lamar, loyalty, 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 right? But we ain't talking about the coach. See, BJ, we keep on, we keep on acting as if we don't know what this is. The great Hugh Douglas said it, right? Get as much money and members. Get as much as you can, as fast as you can. You talk about Brian Kelly. What could make Brian Kelly leave? Potentially $15 million. $15 million is $15 million. I already got that on my resume. I am the Notre Dame, I'm the all-time winning coach in Notre Dame history. I am not going to win a national championship. Because we got our regular season. And I will say this, BJ, it's got to be hard to be the face of Notre Dame. Because you talk about the biggest brand. When you talk biggest brand means biggest boosters. Biggest boosters mean we got to do what they want us to do. And I don't know how confined it is with a place like Notre Dame, but I know he don't get to do as much as he wanna do. Jimbo Fisher left Florida State. Because they couldn't pay him. Why do you think Brian Kelly left? They couldn't pay him. They couldn't pay him that. Because once again, the two, the, the two right now, the two highest paid coaches in college football have never won an Addy. Think about that. It used to be the going rate for Jim Fisher left Florida State, but he came behind Bobby Bowden, a legend, arguably the greatest coach to ever do it, right? But he won an Addy. I think Brian Kelly and... Uh, Lincoln Riley are both like 0-6 in college football playoffs. Now, that doesn't mean they're not great coaches. But nowadays, BJ, it's I want a big – I want a fa- – because I, I, I look at certain brands, something we were talking about. We talk about the NBA, it's about the players. We talk about MLB, it's about the teams. We talk about the NFL, it's about, it's about the logo, it's about the shield. We talk about college football, they're making it about these coaches. Because how can they not? Brian Kelly, there are people in America who did not know who Brian Kelly was till last night. Not because they know about Notre Dame, but you didn't know who the coach was. You know who he is now? Like what they not because of who he was or what he coached, what he got. 15 million potentially. And I know we're gonna get into the whole amateurism thing, BJ, but I mean, somebody said this too. The people that run these college campuses are not ADs. It's these presidents. These presidents say we want them to go out there and get them. They, the presidents communicate with the boosters. The boosters communicate with the AD. The AD goes gets on the plane. He goes gets Brian Kelly. What is, he said, what is Brian Kelly? What, type, what, what is he going to say? Hey, man, we're going to give you 10 million, potentially 15. He's gone. I don't care who he's talking to. Well, he's gone. And, 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 and it's a similar situation, I would guess. I don't want to speak for Lincoln Riley, but when you look at his contract, and there are some reports out um, – on Twitter about some of the details, but looks like roughly $110 million for Lincoln Riley plus a $6 million housing allotment. Mm-hmm. So he'll get $6 million, I guess, that the school, the program, mm-hmm. will pay for for his house. Uh, also, USC is buying both of his homes that were back in Oklahoma, uh, and he gets unlimited private jet use. I mean, so you're seeing these uh, additions, these you know various, uh, whether it's, you can reach milestones and, and, and add this to your salary or these are extra bonuses to your contract. You're seeing these become more prominent. Uh, it's this the new status quo for big-time college football programs where you're right. You said a moment ago that not that long ago, if you were paying a coach two and a half, three, you were kind of at the top of the heap and you were setting the standard for everybody else. Now if you're not paying six or seven, 
it's hard to imagine you being a consistent national contender. I guess what I'm asking you is, is this what you have to do now to compete with the big boys? And what's next? If coaches are making eight, nine, ten million dollars now, fifteen, is it crazy to say in a decade it could be twenty? I mean, I mean, I don't think we're gonna make it to a decade. Look at how fast, look at how fast it went from seven to eight to nine. All these things that happen within a year. This is when you know college football is backwards. I know Dan Muller recently got fired from Florida. Dan Muller was making more than Kirby Smart. Dan Muller, who's won one SEC East, never won an SEC championship, never been a college football playoff uh, participant, was making more than Kirby Smart. I think, BJ, this comes down to how big do we want our reputation to look perception-wise? Because LSU, last night, they were like, look, man, how do we up you know what? How, how do we uh, outdo what USC just did? We just got Brian Kelly. What? Because BJ, in a sense, that's what they're supposed to do. It used to be you had to win the press conference. Mm-mm. Now you got to win the breaking news. How can we make our breaking news bigger than that? Because I didn't think it would get bigger than Lincoln Riley. Now I knew the LSU had to get a big name. I would have never thought it was Brian Kelly. So I, I give it to LSU. And once again, they gave Coach Ogeron $9 million based off 2019. But they're looking at the resume. They're saying, could Ogeron have done a Notre Dame what he did? Probably not. So I get the guy. I'm not, listen, are guys worth the money? Yes and no. Yes, because they got it. But no, because, I mean, once again, I know we're going to get to Bob Stoops, hopefully get to his, uh, you know, a sound bite talking about it. At what point, BJ, have we lost sight of the fact that I thought it was about the product on the field. I thought it was about the players. No, I know it's about the players. But players get NILs or some of them get NILs. Now, you talking about you talking about you talking about like you know uh, a king's ransom for these coaches. These coaches are getting this regardless. Think about that. Yeah, so if I mean, you fail, you're still going to get your still contract. Where, whereas, whereas that transfer portal is obviously getting bigger. You know, as you know, as the seconds go by. But look, shout out to LSU, man. They they, they won because it was all about Lincoln Riley yesterday, and then that night, BJ, they, they, so they, they, they won the perception battle for now. Well, think about this with LSU, okay? You just had a incredibly unpredictable, at least from the outside looking in, move of Lincoln Riley leaving one of the great programs, going to another great program. You have two teams in the SEC ranked in the top three uh, in the country they are going to play on Saturday, and who's everybody talking about in college football? A team that just finished last in the SEC West. LSU finished last in the SEC West. But because they went out and got Brian Kelly, they're now the talk of college football. But to your point about these coaching salaries, you know, where should the emphasis lie? I want to get into some of that. What's next for college football? And when you talk about these salaries, 100, maybe 15 million, uh, 100 million in total, 15 million a year, does that, does that sound like amateurism? Uh, we'll get into that and kind of what could be next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. And I think in college football now is that if you're going to be a top-tier kind of contending on a national stage program, you're going to have to invest. That's not a new idea, but I think the money that it requires to be at that level, in theory, is becoming more and more significant. Uh, You mentioned it in segment one. Not that long ago, we saw a $3 million a year contract and thought, wow, you know, is this going to be sustainable? Then it was five. Then it's seven. Then it's eight, nine. And now you're talking about, with Kelly, the potential of $15 million. And you and I have both said off the air, just talking about this uh, the last couple of days, wow, this is a lot for amateur athletics. And you think about college football at the highest level, and you think about the bright lights, you think about the big stage, but 
at the end of the day, you're talking about student athletes uh, who we have seen the name image likeness uh, landscape change, obviously, but you're talking about student athletes who still, even in today's era, have very limited uh, resources in terms of maximizing the worth that they're contributing to, right? It's not that, of course, a college degree is valuable. Of course, a name image likeness uh, opportunity is in place and that's meaningful. But when you think about all that the product on the field is contributing to, is it fair to ask the question, is a further kind of restructuring of what it means to be a student athlete needed? Because I, I, before I get to your answer, I think we all understand that not every college athletics program can go out and give a coach $100 million or guarantee $15 million per season. But as we see the bubble continue to expand, is there a point where you start to look around and say, A, this is a lot for amateur athletics, and B, might there have to be a way to kind of reconfigure some of those resources back towards the student-athlete? I think you're going to have to try to do something to reconfigure it, but I mean, I, the biggest thing is we need to stop calling this amateurism because I don't think it, it, it's ever been. I understand that when it comes to these big-time programs, it's about the facilities, it's about making sure you got the best facilities, this, best facilities, that. Facilities are nice when you're using them, but let's face it, man, we're talking about a limited time. It's not as if this is something I get to use for the rest of my life. It's not as if I'm going to be able to use this as a resume builder forever. And I'm going to a certain school because I'm looking at a track record of how many, how many players in my position and how many players of that team they put out every year in the draft. But, BJ, let's, let's not be naive. It used to be a time where we didn't know how much a coach made. It wasn't breaking news. And I think Christian coach- just showed me something that said maybe Steve Spurrier in the late 90s was the first coach to get to a million. So within a generation, we've yes. gone from a million. And look, guys are getting paid. Hey, but, I mean, but, yeah. but we've gone from a million to potentially 15 million. I remember back in 2000, 2001, just played in, uh, just played in the Orange Bowl, me and Kenny Parker driving back up. Uh, we're driving back up 75. And Coach Burry had just signed a five-year, $25 million deal to go to the, the then Washington Redskins. Now think about that. 20 years, what, 19 years later. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 20 years later. We've gone from five years, $25 million, which was, I mean, a gigantic contract. And that's for an NFL coach to a college coach getting $100 million. Now, when people talk, there is inflation in his life. But sometimes the people who do the most you know, they don't, they, they don't, they don't get, they don't get, uh, they get taken advantage of. They don't reap the benefit of it. People, let me tell you guys something. When people start talking about facilities, you're not talking to the people who use them. You think players care about facilities? Yes and no. Yeah, you want to be in a nice facility, but you just spent $100 million on a facility. But you also gave $100 million to a coach, a coach that can get $6 million towards a house that's not coming out his salary. Unlimited access to private jets, and he's going to get a free phone, and he's going to get free apparel, and he's still going to get uh, movie deals, commercials. So, BJ, the money that we see is only the money that has to do with football. They didn't even talk about, because think about this, if you're Brian Kelly, he's going to have to get ingratiate himself in that, not just Baton Rouge, but the state of Louisiana. Hey, Coach, man, what, you, what kind of car you want? Hey, so I just think for me, what makes, what makes me angry is when people say, quote, well, if these players don't like it, no, 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 no. There is no college athletics without these players. And I said college athletics. I didn't say college football. So, BJ, I mean, I was one of those people. I was very naive, too. But when you start looking at it, I was like, look, how good of a player am I? 
if that coach, if I can help a coach, because I have something to do with that coach getting. I am not his uh, agent. I'm not saying. Well, yeah, that. I think it's it, it, it's very understandable if you see a student athlete and you're looking around going. Man, my coach just got 115 million dollars. Uh, the TV rights for the conference I'm playing, I'm you know a billion dollars. You know merchandise sales, and I'm not saying this is an easy thing to fix. Yeah, I'm not saying this is something you press a button and tomorrow we all have more clarity and a better understanding. But I do think when you look around, when you look around, the money around college sports, college athletics has changed dramatically, and in terms of direct resources being reallocated to each and every student athlete, I don't think that it has changed dramatically. It's, it's, it, it's about the same. You have name, image, likeness. Not everybody can capitalize on that. But you wonder, it makes sense to think that a further progression or development in terms of student athletes and what they get uh, be on the horizon. I think that makes sense. BJ is BS is what it is. Because think about this. You know why they get these coaches these big-time contracts? Because they want the focus to be on those guys and less on the people they coach them. I use John Gruden. When I was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, John Gruden sitting down with me, we just talking. John Gruden said, Ben, you know all I do is call plays. I ain't never ran a play. I've never executed a play. I've never done anything but call them. I call a play for you. You execute it. He says, you get a Super Bowl, you get a Super Bowl ring, and I get a street named after me. I get endorsement deals for life. I, I – I get and 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 to me, BJ, we 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 are losing sight of the fact that money goes into everything, but actually into players' bank accounts. Think about it: recruiting, facilities, TV deals, exposure. Because because when the NIL came out, you know what? You know who don't have to worry about NILs? The, co- the colleges and universities. That has nothing to do with the school. The school don't have to come out for one cent. I know they got the academic thing, but I just think, BJ, I don't want to hear about you don't have. When you just gave one guy, one person, that that type of money, and they got yeah. to get that money regardless of performance, meaning, BJ, if I don't play well, I could lose my position. And it's not every school. I think we all yeah, know yeah, that. We're but, not, we're not talking but you about, wonder, could yes. there be a recalibration to kind of, I, I, I don't know, pull some of this together or or have a more updated sort of let me, infrastructure well, let me, that, let me, let me that say, better reflects what's going on? Well, BJ, think about this. Hold on, hold on. I went, listen, I went to the University of Florida. You went to Armstrong. Your wife was a student athlete. Yes. There is no separation between me and her. I'm not separating me from her. When's the last time when you when you were dating, you know, when you were dating your wife in college, when's the last time you was like, hey man, let's go to the movies? She said, I got it. Cause she didn't have it. But her schedule might oh, have been worse than in- mine. Incredibly busy. So yeah. what so what happens is when you start asking yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just want something. And I'm let's just take it past the athlete for a second. You could take any Cam, you went to Savannah State. How many students on campus are walking around with anything in the bank account? Anything. So all I'm saying is when you start talking about the student-athlete experience, it has to be more than just games and wins and losses and training. When I'm watching coaches on television, doing commercials, doing movies, writing books, doing TV shows, and yet, hey, man, you at LSU, you at Florida, you at Georgia. I get that part. I am not taking away that part. But you do all this to get me, and then when you get me, you got me. But I'm watching coaches. They, BJ, guys, they forget 10 years. They re-open re- contracts two years after signing them. So I just think something has to be done because the contribution of these student-athletes, the biggest face on any campus is, is either the college football coach or like a Duke or North Carolina. You get it. Or Kentucky. 
the biggest brand ambassadors will be the student athletes. Like th- that, that's who everybody want to see. So all I'm saying is you got to find a way to give them something. I'm not talking about NILs. I'm talking about don't tell me you don't have anything when you're giving one guy 15, one guy 10, one guy 8, and that's before incentives. That's what people don't get. They still going to bowl games. They still so one guy making 10, potentially 15, that's one guy. And yet, how much, how much money, how much, how far can $15 million stretch over the athletic, over, over the athlete? I'm pretty sure you can find, because I remember being in school, listen, $1,000, $2,000, that's something. Because of NIL deals, remember everybody thought everybody was going to be getting all this money? That went away, didn't it? Because it, was, it, it, it started off real good, but the guys who they gave it to didn't pan out. The Bo Nicks, the DJUs, I get it. So they hurt. So the big stars hurt the guys who ain't as big a star because, well, if I can't get it with him. I just think that for me it's, it's ridiculous because, BJ, 15 million, what? November, 20, November 30th or whatever, 2021. By 2022? Because Nick Saban, he's going to make more. I mean, 2025, 2030. What are I mean, these BJ, pretty, pretty soon, you know, I mean, it ain't far from now. Coaches are going to be getting played like starting pitchers in the majors. 20 or $30 million a year. Tweet at us, at Pigskin Radio. Uh, if you want to hop on, 912-342-7184. 342-7184. We'll try to get to you. We have uh, Tate Casey coming up. We have DJ Shockley coming up. We have Scott Carter coming up. A great show. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been just hard to follow, all the, all the contractual details and uh, the storylines and the breaking news, uh, the transfer portal, which we haven't even got to today, a Georgia Tech quarterback – uh, Jordan Yates announcing right before the start of the show that uh, he's entering the transfer portal. So the news is fast and furious with college football. Uh, Brent Pry earlier today named the head football coach at Virginia Tech. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator for six seasons at Penn State. And in 2010, I believe, if that name sounds familiar, he was the defensive coordinator at Georgia Southern. Uh, so he has been named the new head coach at Virginia Tech. Congratulations to Coach Pry. I think it's a very good hire for the Hokies. We'll come back. Florida has a new head football coach, Billy Napier. We'll get the perspective of Tate Casey next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Florida, of course, has a new head football coach, Billy Napier from Louisiana. Had a lot of success with the Raging Cajuns. Louisiana will take on Appalachian State this weekend in the Sunbelt Championship game. And uh, obviously, it brings a lot of excitement to Florida. With us now to talk about the hire and the Gators, former star tight end for the University of Florida, won two national championships now with the Florida Gators radio network. Tate Casey. Tate, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Billy Napier has had a lot of success. Louisiana's been in the top 20, top 15. A uh, guy that's been around Alabama, been around Clemson. Your thoughts, uh, your initial thoughts on the hire? I mean, I like the hire. I mean, I think that the the one thing, obviously, that's unknown with a lot of coaching hires is how it plays out. But, I mean, if you're looking at Billy Napier and you're talking about culture and a guy who's been around some great great head coaches and some great programs uh, that have tradition and he knows the game of recruiting very well at a high level, I think Billy Napier is a, a great, great hire for Florida. And TKs, I mean, what what has the move been like around Gainesville? Obviously, everybody was trying to wait to see who was going to be the next guy. But what has been what has been the move thus far? Even you know, with all these you know, fifteen million and ten million dollars a year being thrown around. <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy. The coaching carousel in the last few days has been uh, insane. You know, if you thought that Florida's coaching hire was going to make headlines for for at least a week, and then all of a sudden you've got the you know the news with Lincoln Riley and. 
and uh, you know Kelly and, and everybody else that, that's happening right now. I mean, there's been some waves in college football, so I, I I like that personally. I like the fact that Billy Napier is going to be a subtle headline right now, and I think the only thing on his mind is, is how he can one win a championship with his current team and then hit the ground running with Florida and and really not have to worry too much about the uh, the noise. There have been a lot of uh, headlines, like you said, drama around a number of these coaching searches. From the outside looking in, seems like Florida uh, had had the guy they wanted, went and interviewed him, and, and made the hire. Does this seem like it went pretty seamlessly from your perspective? I do. I mean, you, you can't ask for much more. If you're Scott Strickland and, and you've got a guy in mind that's got a great track record and he's highly spoken of, I think that's the bigger thing. When I look at some of these big-time coaching hires in the last few days, uh, you know, with, with Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley, and it's, it's really hard to go into somebody's house and, you know, commit to a recruit that you're going to be their head coach in a few years when they just watch you walk away from, you know, what most people would think to be the best coaching job or coaching situation or college. Uh, you know, Billy Napier, what he's doing is he can go in and he can, he can rest assure somebody, you know, I'm at Florida right now for the long haul. That's a, that's a dream job of obviously his going from where he's at. And he can tell a mom or a dad, i am got nothing better in mind but to develop your kid and send them to the NFL. And not only that, Florida right now is, is prime picking for facilities uh, and what Scott Strickland's trying to do around facilities at the University of Florida for what we're trying to do to build a program back up that was once prominent and has, has been up and down in the last few years. They've had some success. I mean, make no mistake about it, Dan Mullen did a great job in the first three years of the program of kind of putting Florida back on on the map, but you got to also understand that Georgia, South Carolina, and Kentucky have also started to rise a little bit as well. And I think the the hardest part is the recruiting game for Florida hasn't been what it once was. And tell you how much of that was a selling point when you think about uh, the resume of you know a guy like Napier. I mean, where he's been. I mean, we talk about you know Clemson, we talk about Alabama, but but then having but then having like you know his uh, his feet on the ground in Louisiana. He understands not that recruiting is the end-all, be-all, but he knows how to go out there and get those guys. You look at some of the guys he got. How much was that a big selling point, which as great as the job as Dan Mother did the first three years, we all knew that recruiting was one of the things he didn't do as well. Well, I, I think he, you, you chalk it up to being the, you know, from the school of hard knocks. You know, it, It's not easy recruiting at a place like uh, you know, Louisiana. Uh, and, and that's one thing that, that he's been able to do, you know, obviously to get players that, that he needed to win, you know, games and win some championships there or win bowl games. You know, Billy Napier's one of those guys that I think understands the, the value of relating to a recruit. It's not just selling them on a university. It's more so selling, you know, selling them on everything. And I think that what you're going to see out of him is he's probably going to come in and understand if he can read the room, which, which I've heard he's very well at, at being a CEO and, and micromanaging and making sure he can you know, organize the right way, what he's going to have at his disposal, and, I, and I, I understand that him and Scott Strickland have had that discussion, that, listen, I need to have carte blanche on recruiting. I need to make sure that we're on par with the Alabamas, the Georgias, you know, the Clemsons of the world, so that we can go out and, and bring this thing back to where it needs to be. And with a new facility and hopefully a higher recruiting budget to make that happen, you know, I think he's going to be be able to really uh, do some damage. We're chatting with Tate Casey of the Florida Gators Radio Network, former star tight end in Gainesville, won two national championships with Florida. So for Billy Napier, uh, Tate, what are what are his first priorities? What must he address or do right away? 
Well, I think one is is talking to the recruits that obviously were committed. You know, you know, Florida has has lost since Dan Mullen's departure has lost a few of those guys. I think one, he's probably got a couple of guys he's already he's already talked to that maybe he thinks would be a good fit. Um, so far, I, if I was him, I'd hit the trail ASAP and go hawk some of these guys that either broke their commitments with Florida or other guys that are you know committed to other schools that that maybe like Coach Napier, the thought of Billy Napier over Dan Mullen. And, and there's probably guys out there like that, that maybe Florida didn't show enough attention to, or maybe they thought that, you know, Dan Mullen wasn't the fit for them or just the, the, the right personality that will look at a Billy Napier and go, hey, man, this guy's got some edge to him. You know, he, he's a lot different mentality. He's, he's wired a different way. And I think that you know, that's the bigger thing. You know, I've gone through a coaching change before, and, and – one thing I'll say is for the players that are sitting in-house, he's got to be able to retain players, too. And if I'm a player sitting in Gainesville, Florida right now, I'm hanging on before I make any decisions because the guy that's walking in the doors is a night and day difference from a personality uh, than your Dan Mullen of the world. And that's just my opinion, you know, and I'm not, it's not saying anything about Dan's, Dan's mentality. Dan is a competitor, and he always has been, but – his personality is different than a guy like Billy Napier. You know, Billy Napier carries an edge to him. Um, he, he's obviously been able to build a culture uh, where he's at and places that he's been are known for that. So uh, I think what you're going to get is a guy who thinks like Saban that, that's got, you know, got a little bit of edge to him that's going to be able to bring a mentality and, and a culture that your recruits can appreciate and especially guys on campus can appreciate. And tell you, talk talk about that a little bit more. I was a guy obviously when I was in Florida went from you know went from Coach Bird to Coach Zook. You talk about being able to go through coaching changes. And sometimes that that new coach brings a different you know uh, you know changes up the atmosphere a little bit. Gives you a chance to go out there and see you know how much you've grown as a as a collegiate athlete because the transfer portal obviously makes it look like I'm gonna go in and be able to go to another school. But sometimes where you are, even if you're going through a coaching change, might be your best destination. Yeah, and, and I I like to tell high school guys you got to stop. You got to stop buying the actual salesman and start buying the product, right? You know, uh, I had a I had a tack board on my wall in high school that, that pretty much listed out academics, um, you know, athletics, uh, starting potential, etc. You know, I had a number eighty four in Gainesville that departed right when I was coming in. It made an easy decision to think that I could that I could possibly play, you know, early on. And uh, yeah, <laughs> appreciate appreciate you for that, Ben. But you know, I, I guys have to start looking past just football. And I think that that's the hard part for a lot of these young guys. When you're 18 to 22 year old, all you're thinking about is going to the NFL. You're not thinking about, you know, man, I'm going to have to get a job at 23 or, or man, I'm going to have to start making money. You know, if football doesn't work out, a lot of guys don't think that way. And, and their problem is they think about the coach, you know, they get sold by the coach on the coach. What's the system? What's this? And they don't even think about the potential of a coaching change um, and for me, you got to start thinking a little bit different as a recruit. You got to start thinking about how your decision of college impacts your future, how your decision of college may impact you, you know, five years after football, 10 years after football. Are you going to be able to go back and use that degree towards something that's actually going to pay your bills, pay your mortgage, put you in retirement down the road? Because a lot of college athletes that go pro, even most of them don't necessarily make the decisions with money that they probably should be making. So, yeah, I've got to make a decision that's going to affect me and, and probably my family down the road. I'm going to put all the things together and say, okay, here's the few universities that not only are good for football, it's not only good for my opportunity to go to the NFL, but it's also going to be able to set me straight for future and for life. And that's where the, coaching, you know, the culture of a coach comes in, comes in handy. What is he about? 
Is he about me or is he about my, my athletic ability? Is he about me or is he about my talent? Does he really truly care about my family? Can he relate to what I'm going through, my background, my situation, and how does that play into my decision? Great perspective from Tate Casey, former star uh, for the Gators. Tate, before we let you go, the SEC championship game uh, this weekend. I know it's Georgia and Alabama, but you had a lot of success in Atlanta. How special are those SEC championship games, and what was it like for you competing on that stage? Hey, uh, it's something that you, you really don't forget. There's some of the best memories that, that I can think of uh, my time, you know, during my time at Florida. Uh, I think just the preparation, the week that leads up to it, the, the anticipation – and obviously, you go to places like Florida for one reason and one reason only. It's to play in the SEC championship and, and national championship. I mean, that's the goal every single year. And so being able to step on that stage and, and you know, have moments, uh, have moments, you know, a, a touchdown in 06 was a moment I'll never forget. And being able to have those kind of moments is what you play the game for. So looking forward to seeing it. You know, it's, it's going to be a great game. I think, you know, Georgia's defense, obviously everybody knows the story there. I, I, I Really question whether or not Nick's offense can stir up enough, but I'll say there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Alabama defense um, to, to keep this one tight. Tate Casey with us here on 3 and Out, part of the Florida Gators Radio Network. Tate, thanks so much. Have a great week. All right, fellas. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. And, Ben, a great perspective from Tate on, on Billy Napier, on uh, the perspective maybe that you might need to have when you're going through a coaching change. And I wrote about it on Southern Pigskin. I think it's a great hire for Florida. I mean, you're talking about a guy that uh, has been at Louisiana four seasons, and that's a program that had three straight losing seasons before he got there. In each of those four seasons, they've won the Sun Belt West. They've made the conference championship game. And you talk about when you take over a program, can you rise to the top of your division? Well, Billy Napier played 16 games, or played, coached 16 games in the Sun Belt West. The Raging Cajuns went 16-0 and in those games. He never lost a division game, beat Iowa State, a top-10 team, has Louisiana in the top-20 and the top-15. I think he's won 11 games in a row right now with the Raging Cajuns. Has coached at Alabama under Saban, has coached at Clemson under Swinney, was a player who had great success as a quarterback at Furman. I think it's a great hire, 42 years old, and I thought that was a good, uh, good breakdown there from Tate. Yeah, and the one thing I like uh, that Tate said too, BJ, is he said, "Look, I want to know if a coach, is, you know, you know, really cares about me." And that's hard to do when when the bottom line is wins and losses. I get that part, but he says that's the thing about being a coach that people don't get. Hey, man, there are going to be certain players you gravitate to, but if you can't resonate with the person, you don't deserve to have the player. I think Coach Napier, because he's been around, I think he's understand how to do both and win games because he's going to have to win up that locker room by winning games. But he's going to gain respect in that locker room where he can respect those guys in it. I think Billy Napier is going to find a way to get both done. So let me ask you this. Tate said he went through a coaching change. You obviously recruited by Spurrier. Ron Zook comes in. You have the meeting. You have the introductions, all like that. If you're a player on the current Florida roster, what are you hoping to hear? I'm, I'm hoping to hear a guy that's going to, you know, Make sure he understands that I put in work here too. Like the same way he's earned the opportunity to be the head coach of Florida, I've earned the opportunity to be a player at the University of Florida. And why he didn't recruit me, I said this. Coach Spurrier was the coach I chose. Ron Zook was the coach I needed. Sometimes you need a change of pace because you're going to, because I'm not saying I took my opportunity for granted when I had Spurrier with BJ. You see how great of a coach he was. Ron Zook said, no, man, I'm going to get every ounce of talent out of you. I'm going to pull it out of you every single day from the film room to the locker room to the weight room to out there on the, on the field. And you look at the end result. Yeah, it's easy to talk about the player you, you ended up becoming. 
coming. But Ron Zook did more for my career than Spurrier ever could because of what he demanded from me. Demanding coaches are usually the best coaches. Just look at all, just look at just look at the best coaches in college football. Kirby, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney. Demanding, look at the end result. So I do think uh Billy Napier gonna have because he gotta earn his stripes too. Just because you're the head coach don't mean you've earned anything. Right. He's gonna have to go out there and earn it. But you appreciate a coach. Who can who can discipline you, but also you know give you those pats on the back when you need it? Those usually bring out the best because I've I've always heard the best coaches in the world want to get coached hard because they can deal with it. About 15 minutes, the legendary DJ Shockley will join us and we'll talk about the SEC championship game. Ben, you have one of those you have one of those as a freshman, right? And I saw the picture. Yes. All right, there's a picture of the Gators <laughs> celebrating. Now, I, now I went through the box score and I was and and I was looking, but then I saw the picture and I said. There he is as a freshman. True freshman, yeah. Look, I, I didn't understand how – I understand how prestigious the SEC championship was, BJ, but when you in Atlanta, the then Georgia Dome, that's that's no more. That's the old school. The old yeah. school. It just makes you gain an appreciation because there are going to be teams that's never, ever going to get to play in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. There are going to be players that's never, ever going to be on teams that get to go out there and play in it, got to play with the great Rex Grossman and Rishay Caldwell, may he rest in peace, and Jabbar Gaffney and Alex Brown and, and Lito Shepard and so on and so forth. Be Auburn that, that year. I think I mean Rudy Johnson didn't play in that game, but who was I think? I think it was SEC Player of the Year uh, that year. But yeah, it is prestigious. But DJ Shockley, not one, but two. If I'm not mistaken, I think Mark Ritt's first five star recruit to he ever recruited because the you know the legend goes that he was going to go to Florida State. I know BJ would have loved that, <laughs> but then Mark Ritt ends up coming over to Georgia, and obviously the rest is history. But yeah, it's always great to be able to say you won an SEC championship. I still think never played in the Natty, but I am blessed to say I did win one SEC championship. And we'll chat with DJ in just a bit. More to come. Three and out. Southern Pigskin. A report out, Ben. A story from ESPN's Michael Duraco citing a source says Urban Meyer has no interest in leaving the Jaguars for a college job. Now, the second Notre Dame became open, you know, you, the internet became a piece with, up oh, Urban Meyer, going to go to Notre Dame, and you never know, I mean, especially after the last couple of days, I guess you never do know what's going to happen in coaching. Uh, do you do you buy that Urban Meyer is happy and staying with Jacksonville? Wow, if he was, if he was still in college or if he was still in the booth, uh, I wouldn't buy it. But I think B.J. sometimes – you know, you want to kind of you want to kind of show that I can show this, I can show some loyalty to the top ranks. I mean, when you are in college, you are the, you know you are the you are the big fish. You know, you are you are the main attraction. When you in the NFL, you are just one. You know, uh, you know, you just one. Uh, you know, straw. You know, in, in uh in this bowl of big straws, I guess if you want to call it. But I, I respect the fact that Urban Meyer is saying, look, I want to earn my stripes as a as a NFL coach as a pro. And BJ, you know, when it comes to his reputation, you know, people. He's like Lincoln Riley. Every time a big time, you know, coaching opportunity comes up, his name's going to come up. Yeah, I don't think it would be received it, it well. And this, and this is the thing: <clears throat> when Trevor Lawrence gets hurt and he goes into the locker room and he begs to come back to the game, he earned all the respect of his teammates right then. Urban Meyer leaves. He'll never gain that locker room back. And BJ, he might never win the locker room he goes to. Shout out to Urban Meyer. Realize, man, I'm in the big leagues now, man. We're going to win and lose together. I, I want to be the reason why, you know, the resurgence in Jacksonville happens so I, I, I can respect it. I'm just saying, we've been waiting for the resurgence. I'm just saying, I, I, it's. I mean, hey, man, Tom Coughlin, what, Jack Del Rio, uh, Doug Marone. It's, Doug Marone I, had him within a they, game. They did. They of did. The, of Jack the Del Super. Rio. Tom Coughlin started. Jack Del Rio has the moments. I remember when Jacksonville was beating Pittsburgh in the, in the freaking playoff. Wow, how how the mighty have fallen! How'd you do against like Stroud, Seymour? Smith? You know, I, you know that that that's so far back in my lifetime. I you yeah, know, but they they used to beat the brakes off of me. Yeah, so. A lot more to get to. 
DJ Shockley, the great DJ Shockley, will join us here in about uh, five, ten minutes or so. And we'll get his thoughts on the clear favorite, I think a touchdown favorite, his thoughts on that and how do you manage the pressure. We'll chat with DJ next. It's three and out. FloridaGators.com in just a little bit. We are efforting DJ Shockley. We'll see if we can uh, connect with him shortly. But, Ben, Georgia, Alabama, the SEC championship game, I think we probably knew this is what we were looking at. But did we know that Georgia was going to enter this game as basically a touchdown favorite? Do you think that's fair? And how has the psychology kind of shifted in this game where in years past, Alabama's come in as the favorite, Georgia's come in with the narrative around the country of, well, they can be in it if this happens. Now it seems like everybody's saying that about Alabama, an Alabama team that, as you said yesterday, has lost one game by three points at the end of regulation. What's your gut tell you about this game early this week? BJ, I mean, is, isn't, it, isn't this what Nick Saban wants? Nick Saban, Nick Saban is the only guy that doesn't like a lot of attention on the biggest football brand in college football. Nick Saban is the guy that says, listen, we want to go about our business. We, we want to be treated like, you know, we're just another school in Alabama instead of being, you know, Alabama Crimson Tide. I wouldn't say don't poke the bear. Don't, in this thing, don't poke the elephant. Because, BJ, the thing is, we're criticizing a team that lost one game by a field goal. Right. And they haven't been their usual self, but they've lost one game. But we'll see only, what, only four teams have won this game being a um, – being an underdog, and uh, Nick Saban Nick Saban was on one of those teams, and I think our next guest, B.J., was on one of those other teams. Yeah, we have found the legend, one of the great quarterbacks in SEC history, an all-SEC quarterback in an SEC championship game MVP in 2005, of course, with the Georgia Bulldogs radio network, the great D.J. Shockley. D.J., good afternoon. How are you? Fellas, appreciate y'all having me on, man. All is good, man. How about you guys? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on. So, entering this SEC championship game, Georgia is – the favorite, and around the country, they seem like they're a consensus favorite. Uh, what's it going to be like for this team the next couple of days, kind of managing those expectations entering Saturday? To be honest, Kirby has done a good job all year of making sure these guys have been focused throughout the entire season because uh, they've been number one for seven, eight weeks now, and the focus has been the same. I get a chance to be in the locker room. I get a chance to be around this team a lot. And the number one thing he talks about is not having an ego, not looking at the scoreboard, not worrying about where you rank, because at the end of the year, you want to end the year number one right now, none of that matters. So I think the preparation, the focus, it's all the same as they go into uh, this championship week because they focus like that the entire season, and they kind of talked about having a championship mindset all year. So regardless of the game that they're playing in this weekend, they will go about it the same way as they've done uh, the entire season. DJ, I saw some healthy banter back and forth with you and old Peter Burns talking about, you know, he was saying four teams have come in being underdogs has won this game. Nick Saban, obviously coach of two of them. You, you know, you let Peter know that you was on that team that beat his LSU Tigers. What is it like coming in as an underdog but still understanding, look, it doesn't matter where I am coming into this game. I'm one of the teams that get a chance to go out there and, and win this thing. Yeah, uh, I think once you get to this point and you're playing in the SEC championship game, uh, obviously there's one team that's always favored. But when you get to this point, it's a reason. You play really good football. You've had a good chance of, you know, continuing your season. And it's a reason why you're playing in this game because you're capable of being one of the best in the SEC. And when you come in as an underdog, the mindset is I think it's still the same. Everybody, everybody looks at it as, oh, maybe you can't get it done. Or everybody looks at you like this is, you know, the other team's game to win. But you say to yourself, it's a reason why we're here. It's a reason why we're the best on our side or our division. 
because we deserve to be in this ball game. So I, I think the underdogs always have that little chip on their shoulder. But at the end of the day, I remember when I played in it, we felt like we belonged. We felt like we should be here. And it was the reason why we came out and played that way because we had that kind of mindset. As a guy that's done it, obviously, what, what advice would you give to Stetson Bennett as he prepares for Saturday? The, the unique thing is I've got a good chance. I had a good opportunity to talk to Stetson throughout the year, and he's probably the most calm and even kill guys that uh, you ever meet and, and come into. He's played in some big games. He faced his Alabama team last year in Tuscaloosa, played pretty well in the first half. Things kind of got away from him in the second half. But the advice is the same, man. Be yourself. Be who you are. Because if you go into this game trying to be somebody other than what you've done all year, that's when you get into trouble. And he's a guy that stays the course. He knows where his role is on his team and what he's done. And I thought he's grown as a quarterback this season and as a leader. And I think if he comes into this ball game with the same kind of mindset that he's had throughout the year, which is take care of the football, don't hurt my team, and, hey, look on the other side. I got a defense that's giving up less than seven points a game, then I think we got a great chance to win the ball game. So my advice to him has been the same all year. Keep being who you are, man. Don't try to be JT. Don't try to be Bryce Young. Don't try to be anybody else around the country. You have to be Stetson Bennett, and that's been good enough because look where you're standing, number one right now, and leading this team to uh, big heights. When you talk about Kirby Smart and his attention to detail and him making sure that his team don't be looking at the scoreboard, don't looking at where you rank. I mean, very, very confident bunch, but it's still humble. I mean, you know, a team that put, provides a lot of pressure, but a team that plays plays the game the right way, respecting the game is what I hear a lot from Kirby Smart. How much of that, DJ, you think not only helps Georgia, but helps teams around the country understand that, look, man, we're going to play hard-nosed football, but we're going to respect the game by not disrespecting the other squad. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think it's a standard that Kirby has kind of uh, built and the culture that he's built at Georgia right now is we play to a certain standard. We respect every opponent we play, and that's the reason why they have the focus coming into every single ball game that you got to respect your opponents, you got to go about your business, and you got to play it the right way because as soon as you don't do that, that's when you have a slip-up or that's when you play down the competition when you don't respect your opponent, you don't respect the game bad things happen to you. And I think Kirby's done a great job all year of making sure these guys understand that fully. And then once they get into a ball game, I think that's why they haven't had those letdowns this year because they respect every single opponent and they respect every game that they're in. The great DJ Shockley here with us on three and out. And uh, what's going to be the biggest key for Georgia? I, you know, we've seen, I've seen projections from this is going to be a low scoring game to it's going to come down to what you can do against Bryce Young to do you try to run the football? Uh, what do you expect we see on Saturday and what must Georgia do to win? Well, I think it's obvious. Georgia wants to be able to team that run the football and use the play action, be explosive. That's something they've been all year on the offensive side is be explosive. But I think the game's going to be won on the other side of the ball with this defense. If Georgia is able to get to Bryce Young, if they're able to get him off his spot. Now, he's a guy that when you do get him off his spot, he's made some plays creating and, you know, making extra plays out of nothing. But you got to find a way to get to him. If you get to him, it's going to be one of those type of games that's going to be tough to call because of the ability of this Georgia defense. Now, I know Robinson got hurt last week for him. That's a big part of their game is the run game. So if they don't have that intricate part of it, Georgia's going to be really excited to say, hey, we're going to pin our ears back and come after Bryce. DJ, what is it going to mean to Kirby Smart? He's, he's, a, he's a very, very fiery coach. He's obviously got Georgia, you know, as one of the premier teams in the country, being the number one team in the country right now. I know it's about being the last team standing. <clears throat> but Kirby Smart finally gets over that hurdle and beats, 
you know, uh, Nick Saban, what is it going to mean to him? Uh, I think it's one of those things that's, that's a legacy builder. I mean, you think about being, you know, Nick Saban and beating Alabama. It's been a long time since he's done it. He's had a couple opportunities to do so, and he hasn't been able to do it. To be able to do that, I think it kind of catapults him into one of those coaches that everybody looks at around the country. It's one of the best. And obviously beating Alabama is the standard. And if you have a coach that can do that, I think it puts Kirby in a different light. And I think all the top recruiting classes, all the things he's done to get to this point, uh, gets magnified and, and finally comes to fruition about uh, what he's about and who he's going to uh, who, who he's going to be. The SEC championship game is is such a big stage, DJ. Take us back to your success. Uh, what was the preparation like? What was your mindset like? And how special are those memories? It was fun. I tell you, it was uh, pretty cool to be in that game, to have that opportunity. And to, like you mentioned, be in that game was something that I dreamed about for a long time. And I didn't get a chance to do it until my last year and be the starter and be the guy that helped contribute to a win. And to have that opportunity meant a lot to me. So I was pumped for it. Um, but the memories that you have going into that game where LSU was number three and everything about playing the national championship and to be able to come in and beat them the way we did handily uh, means everything. And I was excited to be a part of it and just really satisfying to have that uh, opportunity. And, DJ, even sticking with that, I mean, I remember you obviously being that that, that big five-star recruit, you know, uh, uh, coming up, you know, that uh, Dan, uh, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, Coach uh, Coach Rick couldn't even uh, couldn't even let go. But you said you finally was able to get it done your senior year. When you think about the transfer portal now, you think about the fact that guys, it don't work out for them year one, year two, year three. You finally got to, you know, earn your keep, you know, wait your turn, playing behind David Green. What is that feeling like to know that, look, man, this is what I grew up watching, and I'm not just a champion. I'm the MVP of this game. Yeah, that's a – that's a different feeling, man. I tell you, uh, I mean, coming into that season, there was a lot of uh, angst and uh, things about the guy playing quarterback, which is me, and a lot of people thought we weren't going to be that good. And then to get to that point and to say, hey, you not only won an SEC championship, but you had a chance to have a to be the MVP uh, was satisfying, gratifying. It meant a lot to me that, you know, the hard work that the, you wanted for that situation paid off. And – the opportunity that you got, that your teammates believed in you, that uh, your coaching staff believed in you, and they knew you were the right guy for the job meant a lot to me. It's something that even to this day uh, I'm completely thankful and grateful for that I had the chance to do that for the entire Bulldog Nation because they stayed behind me as well uh, and gave me all the support. So to be in that game and have the, uh, the kind of game that I had, it meant a lot to me and my family and uh, even to this day, you know, Georgia fans are, are still talking about it, which is pretty cool. Uh, I just think it talks to, about the just how, how good college football is to have these great stories. Uh, they're ones that happen every single year, and I was glad that I had the opportunity to have one of those in that special season. Wonderful perspective from DJ Shockley, 2005 SEC Championship Game MVP, uh, sports anchor for Fox 5 Atlanta, and of course you hear him on the Georgia Bulldogs radio network. DJ, thanks so much for the time as always. Always a pleasure. Appreciate y'all, man. DJ Shockley, our guest here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, and uh, Ben, one of, the, one of the best to ever do it, one of the greatest players in the history of Georgia football, and I thought him talking about Stetson Bennett, I thought that was, that was really telling. Hey, man, you've You've done it. You know, look at what you're doing. Go out there, be yourself. Uh, you know, seen some quotes from Stetson this week. I, I think he's very confident as well he should be. I think he's going to play well, and I think DJ's right. 
Go out there and do what you've been doing. BJ, when you talk about storylines in, uh, in the SEC championship game, is there a greater story in college football than Stetson Bennett? When you talk about a guy that lit it up in high school, like if you go back to his high school stats, one of the best Georgia players ever to come through, and you Pierce know, County Blackshear, yeah. and, and you look at you look what Pierce is doing right now. But I think about it, BJ is this Stetson is a guy that's saying, "Look, man, I'm not big, I'm not tall. What do you want me to do?" But I get it done. My nickname is the Mailman. That's not something I call myself. That's what you know people call me and BJ. If he can find a way to get it done, where would Georgia be without Stetson Bennett? I know it's about this defense, but something DJ said, I've seen Alabama. I've had a good first half against against them against Tuscaloosa. Didn't go my way. Now, this is for everything. On the number one team in the country, maintain that uh, that O in the L column. BJ, if he can find a way to get it done, I know DJ says it's going to be about that defense, which it is. But you still got to score points. I think Stetson Bennett and old Brock Bowers and those guys and George Pickens, if they can work him in, we might come into this thing talking about the defense, might come out of this thing talking about that offense. And, and think about Stetson Bennett, number two in the country in passer rating of all the quarterbacks, and his team's number one. Pretty good, getting it done. We'll come back. We'll take three next, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Scott Carter, FloridaGators.com, will join us in about ten minutes. We'll talk some more about the Billy Napier hire and just all the news Coming out of the SEC, had DJ Shockley on a few minutes ago, so we had to push it back a little bit. But take three, BJ and Ben here with you as we bring in Cam and take three on a Tuesday afternoon. All right, all right. Let's get it started. Take three. The first question is on take one, is Notre Dame still the biggest brand in college football? Woo! I mean, when you when you phrase it after what happened yesterday, right? You're 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 on the verge potentially of the college football playoff, and your head coach leaves to take another job. That sounds like the answer is no, but I still think Notre Dame is the biggest brand. If you were to ask, and and I mean that in the country and just around the world, if you were to say, hey, name a college football program. If you were to go to every person in America, say, name a college football program. Yeah, you would get a lot of Michigan. You would get a lot of Alabama. You'd probably get some Florida, some Georgia, but I think Notre Dame would still be number one. And Notre Dame, everybody either loves them or hates them, right? And, and, yes. And at the end of the day, people are talking about Notre Dame. Now, you might say, well, how are they the biggest brand if they just lost their coach? Well, somebody came in and offered 115 or whatever it is, million dollars. That's how. I, I, I think if Notre Dame wanted to, they probably could have matched that. But I think there, there are some options, uh, you know, very good options, including their current defensive coordinator that, that, that Notre Dame has. I, I still think for a program that is so big, so powerful, they don't need a conference. They have their own TV network. Nope. I mean, Mike Tirico's doing their games every Saturday. Yes, I think Notre Dame is the biggest brand in college football. Yes, it is the biggest brand, BJ, for everything you just mentioned. But you got to think too. Most people, most people don't live in our college football bubble. They don't know every single team. They're not going crazy when you know Lincoln Riley goes here or Brian Kelly goes there. But they know about Notre Dame. That's when you got a brand. People say, man, how you know about Notre Dame? It's Notre Dame. I mean, Rudy and all these movies and all touchdown Jesus. So, yes, Notre Dame is still the biggest brand because they're the only team that operates outside of the confines of the NCAA. Now, I'm not in a conference. I don't have, I mean, listen, I'm in, I'm in the ACC for every sport, but hockey and football. We operate out – and BJ, like you said, they got their own network. Every time you look at Notre Dame, you be like, hey, you, don't, you don't want to say nothing bad when the broadcast is going on. Touchdown, Jesus might hear you. You know, who knows what happened with that. But, yes, Notre Dame is the biggest brand because, BJ, you said it. You either love Notre Dame or you hate them. There is no in-between with Notre Dame. You either like them or you cannot stand them. But, yes, you know you're a big brand 
when you offer the coach 15 mil to take him. So Mr. Take Your Coach is LSU, but that don't mean – that means that the guy that comes in after Brian Kelly, BJ and Cam, oh, my God, it's going to be star-studded because not of who he is, but where he gets to coach. Yes, Notre Dame is the biggest brand in college football. You know, normally I agree with you guys, but I disagree only because, you know, I haven't seen the nostalgia of Notre Dame since I've been alive for the most part. So since I've been alive, they haven't won – Anything. No, no, anybody went Notre okay, Dame. Okay, but if it's not Notre Dame, who who is it? I would say Alabama. I mean, if okay, you go yeah, around, I mean, you go around the world, college football. Oh, Alabama, automatically, especially for the kids my age, and I think people around the world, you think of Alabama, but it's still, I mean, it's still a great job. Now we didn't say that we didn't job. say they're the best brand of football. No, we the best brand. I'm just talking brand. about just the brand in general. I think but what you said is true. You may not even know who Notre Dame's coach is. Yeah. You can't name a player from the last 10 years to have played there. But you know who Notre But it's Notre Dame. Okay. Right? It's like, it's like <laughs> Alabama. Hey, look, y'all know more football, college football. No, I'm definitely, not saying that. Definitely. I'm just saying Notre Dame, to your point, they haven't won a national championship since when? Lou Ho? What? A hmm. generation? Yes. They haven't won a national <laughs> title. Alabama wins one every year. So they're going to be front and center. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is so powerful that they're not winning national titles. It's they're not relevant. in a conference. And everybody's still talking about them. And they're on NBC every Saturday. I mean, I, I, I understand. If it's not Notre Dame, I do think it would be an Alabama and Ohio State. Yes. Probably Alabama. Okay. I'll give you guys. I'll give you guys that. Uh, take two. Which program will be in better shape in five years, Oklahoma or USC? In terms of winning and competing, I think it's Southern Cal. And the reason Kevin talked about this yesterday on the program, and that may sound crazy, Oklahoma's been, what, you know, a fixture in the college football playoff, but Oklahoma's going into the SEC. And we don't know what that's going to look like in a couple of years, but if they do it semi-geographically, and we've heard a lot of talk, could there be four four teams? Like quads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quads or whatever. Well, is your your pod going to be – you, Texas, Texas A&M, and Alabama, mm. or 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 you, Alabama, if they don't want to keep the Texas thing, you, A&M, Alabama, and LSU, mm. that's who you play every year, and then you're rotating Auburn, Georgia, Florida. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what, something's got to give. Yes. Something's got to give there. I mean, I think Oklahoma will get a great coach. I think Oklahoma will be great next season, even with, even with all the decommits and all like that. But Southern Cal, who's standing in their way? You're in L.A., you're one of the great programs ever. You're one of the biggest brands ever. Yes. Ben, you were talking yesterday about all the quarterbacks that have come out all of the All the Heismans. LA. Yeah, yeah, out of the L.A. area <laughs> the last half decade alone. Yes. You think those quarterbacks are leaving now? You get to play for Lincoln Riley. There's energy around that program. You have maybe the right up there with Miami and Alabama and Notre Dame, a, a history that stands alone. Yes. They, they get hot. They start winning. Who's in their way? Okay, Oregon, I respect you, but they're not Alabama. No. They're not Georgia. No. They're not Clemson. They're not Ohio State. I think SC is about to get right, and I think they're about to be a national player. Of course it's SC. It's the path of least resistance. You don't want to be dealing with that nonsense. And the thing about Oklahoma, BJ, look, Lincoln Riley, he didn't make a lateral move, people. He made the smart move. I can't beat the SEC, and I only play them once a year in the college football playoff. Now I got to play them every week out in conference. I don't want to deal with that. I want to be the biggest name for the biggest brand in my conference. That's what I did in Oklahoma. So let me go over here to SC to where BJ, like you mentioned, if Lincoln Riley's there, Bryce Young, Palestine, California, JT Daniels, Palestine, California, DJU, <clears throat> Palestine, California, and I'm in LA. Shannon Sharp said, hey, yo, Lincoln, holla at your boy. He your boy now? You never met him? And think about this. 
name, image, likeness in LA. And and and, and BJ, <clears throat> you think you think about you think about LA and what it does for the resume and the prestige of a coach like a Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, people knew about people knew about him in Oklahoma. I'm not saying that. Everybody knows him because now I'm amongst the stars because I am a star. What's up, LeBron? Hey, LeBron, that's Lincoln. Oh, what's up, Coach? You know LeBron. LeBron, you know he like Ohio State when they winning. He's a Dallas Cowboy fan, but he'll wear he'll wear new you know he'll wear New York Knicks hat. LeBron can do what he want, but I do think that when you think about Oklahoma, BJ, you look at you look at the fact that look, man, it was hard enough coming out of this conference every year being the top dog. Now they go Alabama, they go LSU, they go Florida, they go Georgia, they go Arkansas is playing well now. So I don't even benefit from that. Yes, SC will be in a better position, and dare I say, they're gonna be the team to beat because if uh, the team you got to beat right now is Oregon. And that's all you got to do to get out of that conference? Yes, it's definitely SC. I'm about to say a really bold statement. Not only do I think it's SC, I think they're in a better position than Oklahoma, obviously, but I think they'll make the Rose Bowl next year. Wow. I can obviously say that. They're missing Slovis this year, who is a potential first-round pick anyway. Um, and if you look at some of the decommits from Oklahoma, five-star, the number one quarterback in the country, Oklahoma just decommitted. Mm-hmm. He might go to SC. Of course. Um, wide receivers, two of them decommitted yep. from California. Come on. He'll go to Hazelwood SC. In the, in the yeah, down. you got that kid in the portal from Cedar Grove. He might follow Lincoln and Riley. You got two California products, top um, wide receivers in the country. They might go to SC. He could turn it around in one year. Like you said, there's no real competition. I, in the I mean, I, and I know you, and I know you, I know you're too young for this too. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Cam, <laughs> wide receiver, you used to be at C. They yeah. was putting them out Keyshawn year Johnson. after year. Yeah. Uh, all, 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 all I'm saying is this, because I hate it, you know, 96, right? I mean, that 96 wide receiver draft, headlined by Keyshawn Johnson, yeah. number one overall pick in that yeah. draft. So all, all I'm saying is SC, when we get to talking about prestige, I mean, what, O.J. Simpson, Marcus Allen, what, I mean, uh, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Trump Reggie Palomalo, it's just Ray Luka, it's, <laughs> it's too many to name. But, yes, Lincoln Riley gets to inherit all those things now. Oklahoma, listen, I know y'all got Bob Sue saying all the right things, which I love his speech, which we will get to. But ain't nobody, listen, ain't nobody trying to deal with that cold. And here, and here come Alabama because Bob Sue's talking a lot of trash about the SEC because he never thought they were going to end up in the SEC. They're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, not a lot of uh, competition in the Pac-12 <laughs> at all. So, I like USC. Uh, take three. Rank the following ACC quarterbacks for first team, second team, and third team all-conference. Kenny Pickett. Sam Hartman, Sam Howell, Malik Cunningham, and Brennan Armstrong. This is brutal because those are five of the top, what, Cam, 10 to 12 quarterbacks in all of college football. I mean, the ACC has had an outstanding year at the quarterback position. And I think a couple of those guys, you, you could make a legitimate argument that they've, I'm not saying they should be Heisman contenders or front runners, but they've put up Heisman numbers. They've met the threshold. Uh, any any way you do it's going to be disrespectful because all those guys deserve to be there. I would probably go pick it first team. I think he's the first quarterback in ACC history. Even you know Jameis, Philip Rivers, Lamar, first quarterback in ACC history with 4,000 passing yards and 40 passing touchdowns in the same season. And pitch 10 and two. That's getting it done. Uh, I I think second I might go Sam Hartman second team. Uh, he's he's up there with those Heisman numbers and. The expectations were not there for Wake Forest in the preseason. They're 10-2. They were in the top 10. They put up 70 at Army when Army had a top 7 total defense in the country. I think Hartman, I would probably go second team. 
Uh, and then for me, I think Malik Cunningham, third team. A uh, couple of weeks ago, what, he was like the first quarterback ever or something with 300 passing yards and 200 rushing yards in the same game, doing things that I, I don't think even Lamar Jackson did. Uh, and I've seen him play in person. He is awesome to watch. I think I think he's a guy you need to keep an eye on ahead of the draft. Talk about someone that can rise up the charts. But love what he's done. The dual threat production has a beautiful throw on his deep passes. And look, Sam Howell's a star. It's Sam Howell. But I think he might be on the outside looking in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Armstrong at one point was leading the nation in total offense. But you got a lot of picks there. Those a lot of picks. So I think first team, I would go pick it. Second team, Hartman. Third team, Cunningham. But they're all great. Yeah, BJ, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go one, two, and three the same way you did. Kenny Pickett is a guy that just burst onto the scene because he kept – people kept saying, I mean, he can't keep this up, right? There's no way he's going to be able to keep this up. And then I was like, listen, man, Pitt is a team that you is usually known for defense, defense, defense. But Kenny Pickett, man, I mean, he's really, really good with the football, very, very efficient with the football. And obviously, you know, uh, playing in the uh, AC championship game is no slouch. I mean, Sam Hartman, at one point – I mean, them Demon Deeks, they was, I mean, they was undefeated. I was like, dude, this boys going to go undefeated? Are they going to potentially be on the outside looking in for the college ball playoff? Obviously, they acc themselves down the line. And I think BJ was more fatigued than them actually not playing where they played well you know, every single week. But the thing about Malik Cunningham is, Malik Cunningham, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, him and Tutu Atwell and all those guys were supposed to light it up. But BJ, when he is at his best, nobody's better than him. When he is at his best, he puts on his best Lamar Jackson impersonation and he makes it look easy. But he has to do it all for that Louisville. Like, they get them quarterbacks, you got to do it all. They don't give him a lot of help on the outside. But I will say this about, about Sam Howell. If it's a career achievement award, it goes to Sam Howell. Like, Sam Howell, his freshman year, did things that no true freshman I, has ever I, I done. Been quite as good as but I will say this, BJ. He was his best when no one knew who he was. His freshman year, no one knew who he was, balled out. Going to the sophomore year, hey, man, preseason, first team all ACC. Well, second team all ACC right behind, you know, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you're giving them two, two, what, 2,000 yard receivers, that, that two headed monster at, at running back. Lost all those guys this year. People thought, oh, man, he'll still be able to light it up. First game of the year, Virginia Tech. At Virginia Tech, they lose. Never, ever been the same. And I. What, 10? Yep. Yeah, and I told you, BJ, that North Carolina was going to lose to your Seminoles. You didn't believe me. You're like, oh, they're going to win. Nope. But I think what hurt him more than anything, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech exposed Sam Howell, and he was never been the same. But, yeah, they got but, but, I, but I will say the ACC has a plethora of great quarterbacks. The guy that's not in this, obviously, is, uh, De'er, you know, De'Ara King got hurt again. Right. This shit, man, you know, wishing that young man the best of speed and recovery, man. But, but yes, man, uh, you know, I think you got some great uh, ACC play this year, BJ, with, I think, Pickett being the best of the bunch. Taking nothing away from Hartman, obviously, you know, Cunningham being my uh, my third team. Uh, first team, I'll go Kenny Pickett. I mean, who would have thought, you know, at the end of the season, ACC has the best quarterback group in the country. They, they have the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, I'll go Kenny Pickett. In his games that he lost, everybody says, oh, they lost to Western Michigan. He threw 382 yards that game, six touchdowns, they lose. Uh, the second game they lost this year against Miami, 519 yards, three touchdowns, they still lose. That's not his – it's clearly not his fault. He's combined for over, what, 900 yards and, like, what, 11 touchdowns in those games or something like that. I have him first team. I'd say uh, Sam Hartman second team. We've never thought Wake Forest would even be on our radar as far as a ranked team. So they're 10-2. They're playing for an ACC championship. Kudos to him. This was the hard part because I like Sam Howell, but I got to go Malik Cunningham only because if – We all agree. Yeah. Yeah, we all agree because 
Man, everybody loves Lamar Jackson, but he's doing his best impersonation of Lamar Jackson. I mean, almost 1,000 rushing yards this year, 19 rushing touchdowns, 18 passing touchdowns. 19 rushing touchdowns. Almost 3,000 wow. passing yards. Can't get no better than that. He doesn't have quite the team Lamar Jackson had. Lamar Jackson had, you know, Jair Alexander on that team. So he doesn't have those type of players, but he's definitely earned 13. Good stuff, guys. We'll come back. Florida, obviously. Beat Florida State over the weekend, then hired Billy Napier as their head coach. We'll chat with Scott Carter next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out, B.J. Bennett alongside Ben Troop, and the college coaching carousel continues. A couple of days ago, Florida hires Billy Napier. Very impressive hire uh, from Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana has the Sunbelt Conference Championship game this weekend. Napier will coach, and then obviously a lot to do in Gainesville. But with us now to talk about the hire and Florida football from FloridaGators.com, Scott Carter. Scott, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing well. Uh, yeah, that coaching carousel's been spinning, man. I haven't been on Twitter in about an hour, so I'm guessing there's like three more guys moved on. Yeah, that's the way it's going. You hit refresh, and now there's breaking news. But before we get to the Napier hire, I obviously want to talk at length about that. Uh, Florida beats Florida State uh, on Saturday. How important was it for the Gators to finish the regular season, get that win, and kind of have some positive momentum? Well, I mean, it was definitely important. Uh, you know, there hadn't been a lot of good momentum, certainly, uh, the second half of the season. And Anytime you beat Florida State at home in front of a sellout crowd, it's going to be a good day for the Gators. And it wasn't exactly a, a, a piece of art. I don't think anybody who watched the game, I mean, both teams obviously, they looked like five and six teams, right, playing that game. But for the Gators, uh, they were better on that day and uh, got a great performance out of Damian Pierce in the second half, uh, made enough plays to really win the game. And just like you said, uh, just get the momentum going into the uh, the early signing period because, I mean, those two schools, they recruit so much in the same area, so many of the same players, and you guys know how this works. Uh, the, the result of that game could swing a guy or two. So uh, where the Gators are right now, that's something they really needed at this point. How how savvy was Scott Strickland with his uh, recruiting of you know a guy like Billy Napier with so much stuff getting leaked out all the time and obviously that was the guy he had his eye on but a lot of respect shown between him and the AD at Louisiana and obviously a class X all around to finally get the guy he coveted. Yeah, I mean I think he's pretty pleased just seeing him at the game Saturday. Uh, Scott was up in the press box, made a little made his rounds, and you could tell. I mean the announcement hadn't come out yet, but you could tell he's in a good mood. So uh, I think. You know, Napier had been someone that's, you know, had been intriguing for a lot of schools in recent years. I mean, it's no secret he turned down some pretty good jobs uh, the last couple of years to stay at Louisiana. And, I mean, the guy's got, what, a 39-12 and record in his four seasons there. They're playing again for a championship like you guys mentioned. And, um, you know, I, I think where Florida is right now, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of the discussion obviously is, you know, not only is he a good coach, but what kind of a recruiter is this guy? And all indications are, I mean, he, he enjoys that part of it just as much as he does coaching. And he's worked under really the two, I think, premier coaches in college football the last decade or so, and, and Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. He's got experience under those guys. Took a lot of notes as he was in those rooms, seeing how the programs were built. And now we'll get to see him try to, you know, put his own stamp on it his own way with the Gators. 
Scott, what do you think uh, impressed Florida the most about uh, Napier's resume? You mentioned, uh, what, the four straight trips to the conference title uh, game with the Sun Belt. You mentioned uh, Swinney Saban, uh, obviously a guy who uh, is, is renowned for his recruiting prowess. What do you think stood out the most to Florida about Napier? Yeah, I think really it's a lot of all of what you said, but I think just the fact that this guy has developed, he's a relationship builder. Uh, that's so important uh, these days. I mean, it's always been important recruiting, but I think it's even harder in some ways now with the way technology has changed the game. But this guy has a reputation still as a, a, a guy that connects with people. I mean, he, he grew up in a small town in North Georgia, uh, his dad was a coach. He wanted to be a coach. And I think he's just he's a guy that grinds. I mean, he like I said, he loves the process uh, of just building a program. And uh, that's what it takes today. I mean, it's a 24-7 gig. And you've got to, you've got to have a guy that lives and breathes it almost. So, you know, I think he takes, from what I read, I haven't met him yet because he hasn't been here yet, but uh, I think he, he has a couple of weeks in the summer where he tries to break away. And other than that, man, the guy is about his job. And um, so I think you just add all those up. Certainly he's gotten results at Louisiana, which that program hadn't had in 70 years. I mean, it hadn't been ranked in 70 years before he gets there. He's got three consecutive 10-win seasons uh, playing for another championship this week. So it, obviously he's doing something right to win at that level at Louisiana, and now we'll see how it translates to a, a step up the ladder, you know, at Florida. <clears throat> Scott, obviously it's about wins and losses, and you talk about his his ability to recruit. The one thing, though, that people don't take into context, which I know you're going to have to deal with him in this, in this regard, is how does he deal with criticism? How does he deal with the media? The one thing that Dan Mullen started off doing well, didn't end up well, is his, you know, his relationship between him and the media. How much is that just a part of a coach's you know, a gig now, I know it's fair, right, wrong, and different. He's going to have to find a way to jail with us, you know, behind these microphones. Yeah. I mean, you got to have thick skin, Ben. I mean, you know that. We all know that. That That's what – if you're going to coach in the SEC at this level, you're going to have to have thick skin and a short memory. And uh, the scrutiny is going to be a lot more than what he's accustomed to, obviously, at Louisiana. And I think we'll all just kind of learn – that together once he gets here and you know he hits the first bump in the road i mean at first it's going to be a honeymoon and everything's going to be great but eventually when season starts next season uh you know they'll probably lose a game and how, how does he respond so um but from just what i've seen from in you know in the public uh are uh, that he, he's you know from his press conferences and stuff at louisiana i mean he seems to handle that stuff pretty well. And, again, I, I just think having worked at Clemson, uh, having worked at Alabama, uh, you're going to get exposed to, to that similar uh, media coverage and fan scrutiny. So I'm sure he has a, a real idea of what that's like. But um, until you're in it, you just don't know how he'll respond. But I think he's equipped for it considering his background. And also, like I said, growing up the – the son of a coach. I mean, he's just been around the game all his life. Florida hires Louisiana's Billy Napier. Uh, our guest, Scott Carter from FloridaGators.com. Scott, thanks so much for the time, as always. All right, guys. Enjoy it. Take care. And Ben, I think this is a guy that, that loves football, loves the process of 
building a program, elevating a program, and that's what he's charged with doing in Gainesville. Yeah, PJ. I mean, listen. Right now, he's definitely won over some of the fan base. When it, the whole, the whole, you know, uh, the phrase uh, "scared money don't make money" is something that he said. But you look at the track record, BJ. Three straight uh, appearances in the Sun Belt Championship. Three straight ten win seasons playing for a Sun Belt. I think. I think the thing he showed the most, BJ, is you look at the fact Brian Kelly's boat and his his team got a chance to make the college football playoff. Uh, you know, Lane, I mean, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley just bowling Oklahoma with the season still left. He's coaching in the Sun Belt Championship, which means that he's he's not going to neglect the relationships he's built over the years. And as 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 a former player, I understand the business of college football now more than ever. And I understand these coaches are using these opportunities to get you know not better coaching opportunities, but sometimes bigger coaching destinations. BJ, but we know not about winning press conferences. It's definitely about recruiting. He's going to have to find a way to win games sooner rather than later, BJ, because now that year, that mulligan year, that's out the window. You got to come in, uh, you know, picking up where you left off, even though it's with a different team. Yeah, and I think it's a really good hire. I think it's a really good hire. Wrote a story on Southern Pigskin about it with Billy Napier coming to Florida. We, when we come back, we're going to give away another signed copy, Ben, of Uncommon, Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. Uh, I've got a lot of great feedback on the book. We'll do that when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. The book is Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben Troop Story. And uh, Ben, as we've talked about, it was an honor for me to uh, work on this project with you. You can uh, get copies bentroop84.com or uh, anywhere books are sold online, uh, Walmart, Target, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, etc. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited for people to read it. And again, we've gotten some great feedback, and we appreciate that, to, to learn more about you and kind of who and what makes you you and where your perspective comes from and your, your your time at Florida, your time in the National Football League. And we're going to give away uh, a signed copy. Uh, ben will sign a personalized autograph. Uh, and if you want, I'll, I'll scribble my name on there as well. But we'll, we'll get it mailed out to you. But, uh, Ben, it's, it's, it, it's really cool because when you're an athlete, and, and I'm not, I'm speaking from afar as one of the guys who does this, but we talk about players so many times. And now people like yourself get to kind of tell the story of who you are. I'm not just a football player. I'm not just a Gator or a Titan. This is who I am. Yeah, BJ, sometimes, I mean, as a, as a former player, the hardest thing is to show people that I'm not that much different than you. I just have a passion for this. The game that you watch, it just happened to be the game that I played. But the only way I'm going to be able to shape narratives is by putting myself out there. And I think it was, it was a, a very, very therapeutic experience for me, a very, very like sometimes an emotional experience for me because you had to relive some things, be honest about everything in there. But it was paying homage to the people, places, and things that make me not just who I was, but who I am right now. So to my family, friends, teammates, coaches, trainers, guidance counselors, anybody that had anything to do with me being who I am to this day, it's a it's a gigantic thank you letter because there are people in this book, BJ, that are, that are purchasing my book who don't even know they're in the book. That's that's the great thing about it. The feedback has been tremendous from the people that whether you whether you was on my team with me or you was upstairs from Speak and that, it's just too many people to name. Yeah, I would and I would say this. My book is not unique because it's my book. My book is unique because I was willing to tell it. I challenge you to go out there and tell your story. It's one of the best feelings you'll ever do when you finally put pen to paper with BJ. Yes. Uncommon and unfinished, the Ben Troop store with BJ Bennett is available at bentroop84.com. Everywhere, uh, everywhere, uh, major, uh, every major retailer that books are sold, and we will be giving away a, a free signed copy. Do you know the phone number? Because I, 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 I do not I know. Don't. I do not know the phone. Oh, there, there it is. Listen, and the number to call, the fourth caller to call 912 342 7184. Once again, that's 912 
342-7184. The fourth caller will get a signed copy of my new book, Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben Troop Story with B.J. Bennett. As Kevin Thomas said, my book my book is finished. I am not. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, listen, man, But make sure, make sure you guys call in, man. 912-342-7184. The fourth caller will get a signed copy of my new book, Uncommon. And unfinished the Bentroop story with BJ Bennett. And again, you can check it out, bentroop84.com, and it's incredibly authentic. It's uh it's really powerful, Ben, and I'm proud of you. But fourth caller, 912-342-7184. We'll come back. A lot of college football to get to. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network and streaming live on the web. ESPN Coastal. Officially gotten weird with the college football coaching carousel. Whether you're talking about the salaries or the guys changing jobs, this has been a lot to process. Uh, news continuing into today. More uh, information on some of the contracts, but been the news that broke the internet yesterday. Brian Kelly to LSU. That's right, Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. And you might think, wait, a coach left Notre Dame for another college football job? Yes, and it's the first time that has happened since 1908. So pretty uh, serious stuff there. And the contract is about what you would expect at this point. Ten years $95 million, uh, with the possibility via incentives of $15 million a year. That is quite substantial. Uh, you couple that with the recent news, Lincoln Riley to SC, some reports on Twitter that that contract is worth roughly $110 million. Uh, additionally, gets a $6 million housing allotment from SC. Uh, the school is buying his two homes in Oklahoma, and he's got like unlimited private jet Use. So we're seeing these contracts become bigger, badder, more substantial, more significant. And Ben, I would be lying to you, man, if I didn't if I didn't look at this and 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 say, is this sustainable? What's next? I mean, I think Christian told us uh, early earlier in the day, Steve Spurrier maybe had the first million dollar coaching salary, and that was in the late '90s. So in a span of one generation, basically. We've gone from maybe a couple of million dollars on a contract to well over $100 million, at least potentially, theoretically. And you wonder, five years, ten years from now, what are those contracts going to be like? And is this sustainable? Is this practical? And are you basically creating a landscape where it's going to be dang near impossible to compete for a national championship if you can't spin like that? Yes, BJ, I think it is sustainable because you're talking about giving all the money to one person. You're not spreading it out. You're giving it to one person. And this is about two things, the number of years and the buyout. The number of years and the buyout. But, BJ, think about this. We, certain, certain two, The two coaches that change the landscape of contracts is Jimbo and Mel Tucker. Jimbo got the $75 million deal to leave Florida State to go to Texas and People thought, what? Like, he's getting that much. Mel Tucker, 10 years, $95 million, that kind of started it. But, B.J., this, this has a lot to do with perception, too, now. Sometimes you got to show people who you are by how much money you spend. I mean, you know, you go into somebody that got a $10 million house, you would assume this person makes a lot of money because of where they live at. But people kept saying, but I think with LSU, though, B.J., what makes it even more shocking is it's who they got and the amount of money they got because people are like, Brian Kelly's not going to leave Notre Dame. There's too much prestige there. Well, once Brian Kelly had won – being the all-time winners coach, what else can he do? And he's looking at LSU saying, wait a minute, Nick. But before we move forward to the, to the mm -hmm. contractual stuff, 
what's your read on leaving a team? And yes, LSU's a great job. Uh-huh. But leaving a team when if there's an upset or two this weekend, Notre Dame's going to be in the college football playoff. I, th- I think I think uh, Brian Kelly is showing what he got into college football for, and that's to be able to be the, the to get the most money he can and be as big time a big as big as the name as he can. Because think about it, BJ. Even if they do win it, right? All they're going to say is, "Oh, they're going to be mentioning him." They're not going to be talking about the team. They're going to be talking about Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly. But he said he's still the all-time winningest. And if they do go into the college football playoff and win, what is he not? What I mean, what they going to say? They're going to put. They're going to say, well, he's a, he's a national champion, but he was he was getting ready to go to LSU. I think what happens is, BJ, we 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 got to give these coaches. Coaching fatigue is real. When you've been the same team that long, I mean, Dan Mullen had coach fatigue, but you know he also wasn't winning. At least with, at least with Brian Kelly, he was winning. But BJ, I kept telling y'all. You know, Kevin's not on the show today. Hopefully he'll be back with us tomorrow. People say, what would make a team? I said money. Like, no, it can't be that. Yes, it is. The rubber meeting the road when it comes to college football head coaches is the money first and the destination second. Because this is the thing, BJ. LSU didn't get uh, Brian Kelly because he wanted to leave Notre Dame. They got him because they gave him potentially $15 million a year and – because think about this, BJ. If you want, if you want, if somebody's gonna, if somebody's gonna take you from where you are to, to over there with them, they got to be able to give you something, you know, to yeah, make you and, say yeah. And, and we all understand that. I mean, if if and we don't have the exact year by year breakdown, or I don't in front of me, but if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, you got to move, new program or new job, new building, new company, but you're doing the same basic thing. And we're going to give you three or four times what you're making. I think clearly a lot of us would go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Where do I sign? I guess what I'm getting at is, it, 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 is this sustainable in amateur athletics? Because let's not forget, you're talking about non-professional sports. You're talking about student athletes. Uh, is this something that is going to be maintainable moving forward? Coaches making a hundred million dollars. Coaches, I mean, what's next? A hundred and fifty million dollars? Two hundred million dollars? Where? Where's kind of the, the, the point of oversaturation, or is there one? I don't think there is, BJ. Because think about this. Coaches are getting paid what certain ADs used to have as a full athletic budget. $100 million used to be a full athletic budget for some of these schools. Jeremy Foley, when I was blessed enough to go into the Florida-Georgia uh, Game Hall of Fame, he was sitting next to me saying, Ben, I remember when I first got to Florida, I was dealing with $26 million, $27 million. But this is the thing, BJ. They can't stop it. Because think about this. All we've seen is three schools give up. Well, no. Really, five, four schools give out this money. Michigan State, LSU, SC, Alabama. And I'm sorry, Clemson, right? So now, BJ, what you think, what you think these other schools are saying? Now, this is what you will say. Everybody's not going to get the $100 million, but that second tier, because this is the thing, because the top tier went up, the second tier goes up too. So if I was supposed to be making five, that go. So now a lower tier coach is going to be making six, seven, what the top tier coaches making? 10, 11, 12, up, up 15 if you're million. A, if you're a player on the team and, 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 and your football coach is making 10, 12 million dollars and you're a big brand, you're a big name, and yes, there is name image likeness now and that's a good thing and there's an opportunity for players to monetize off of their own brand and we'll see how uh, available those opportunities are moving forward. But if you're a player, is it natural if you look at that and go, I know my coach is supposed to get paid, but my coach is making $15 million, and that's good. I'm happy for him. But is there enough money for me to get a little bit, whether it's $250 a month, $500 a month for student athletes? Do you think those questions are being asked? Those questions not only being asked, BJ, I mean, the frustration being going on behind the scene, you feel slighted. 
I mean, at the end of the day, what people don't realize about a, about a coach is we just saw, we, you know, you, you break down Lincoln Riders and when you talk about the $110 million and you talk about the $6 million, uh, you know, allowance to get you a house, you're talking about the two houses they bought, you know, for him and, and Norm, you talk about the unlimited access to a private jet. We ain't even got to talk about endorsements he's going to have. I'm not talking about with the school. Endorsements. He's the freshest face and the biggest name right now outside LeBron in L.A. So billboard signs, books. Movies, commercials. So that's more money even added to it. And you telling me uh, that me, a player who is making sure, because think about this. We don't know Lincoln Riley if there's no Baker Mayfield, if there's no Kyler Murray, there's no Jalen Hurts. What happened to them? Because the whole thing about it is we act as if the person that's over the product is bigger than the product. That's how they're making it look. And I hate to call players the product, but they are. Think about this, BJ. If the product that we have doesn't sell, not only do we get rid of the product, we get rid of the seller. But the product is selling. It's selling so much that it got you more money. They should feel slighted. It bothers me. And I'm not just talking – let me say this right way. I'm not just talking about the football team. I'm talking about college athletics as a whole. Yes, I think what is what is fair to say, and, and I'm not acting naive as if this isn't complex. Yes. There aren't various layers. I think we all know that. We're just talking. We're just kind of abstractly uh, generalizing here. But I think that's a starting point is with college athletics, everything around sports at the collegiate level has grown exponentially. The salaries, the ticket prices, the merchandising, the donations, the booster clubs, the TV and media contracts. Everything has, what, uh, from maybe two generations ago has been increased seven, eight, nine, ten times over. Yes, But for the most part, and of course, of course, we all value a free education. I mean, we all appreciate what we've been able to do. I mean, everybody we've talked to. College is a great thing. It's an extraordinary thing, and that is that is very valuable. But in terms of everything infrastructurally, I don't know if that's a word, growing and changing with college athletics in terms of the money, for the most part, in terms of the basic return, what the student-athletes are getting, it hasn't changed. And there's millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars all over the place. And I know you have name, image, likeness, and that was a good step in the right direction. And I also understand the counterpoint of there's not enough money at every school to do this. Mm -hmm. But is there a way to hypothetically create some sort of a system where there is a collective return? Yes. Because everything has become so big, including these coaching salaries. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a player, you're still – Basically, kind of getting what you were a generation ago. The the exposure the exposure has gotten bigger. Sure, right? but think about this: What about when everybody day ends, your day is just beginning, but you've been you've been going through the whole day with everybody else. When everybody is at home in their bed, you're just getting out of you know practice and train the table and getting ready to go to. This, these aren't excuses. This is the reality. But you got to But BJ, this is what this is what I will never ever 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 be able to stomach. I don't want to hear you can't find a way. There's no, there is no way. Yes, there is. But this is what I'm saying. Just because I played football, I am speaking on behalf of college athletes. I'll go back to what I said in the first hour, BJ. You know, you're the husband of a, of a student athlete. Your wife and my schedule, it doesn't matter what school we was at, no matter what sport we played, the expectation and was, and, is and, the same. Yeah, and it was a just remarkable how she and, handled and, it. It and was an incredible about, amount of work. And the thing about it is, is everybody's up. Doing the same thing, working out, keeping yourself in shape, being the best athlete. So what do I get for that? A free education. Guess what? For people to say, if they don't like to do something else, you came to my living room. You recruited me. 
And, and forget the fact that I chose you. You chose me first. And I said yes to you, not just because of the education, not just because of the athletics, but you thought, I thought you cared about me. And I'm sorry, man. I know this, the, the whole naive thing. I, I got to college at 17 years old. And I didn't know. And BJ, like I said, listen, I didn't know. When I got on radio, I didn't know everything that came with it. I didn't know the exposure that came with it. So if I get to college, I don't know what comes with it. But I noticed this. The car my coach drive is free. The cell phone he uses, it's free. He got on the same clothes I got on. That's sponsored by the, by the, school, you know, by the, by the apparel company we with. Everywhere he goes, it's comped. Everything he eats, is free. And he gets paid. Think about that. He gets paid. He gets endorsement. He gets books. He got a publicist. He got a manager. So all I'm saying is, if everything the face of the company gets is free and he gets paid, but the people who run the company, that being you know, the people who run the company are the, are, the, are the student athletes. How do they people go? They get an education. Everybody on this campus is getting an education. Everybody on this campus ain't in these facilities. So for those people who think, I'm, you know, I sound, you know, uh, bitter, I, I'm not talking about me. I'm a has-been, it's over and done with. But you telling me that Stetson Bennett went from a have-not to a have-got and he's the most famous football player in the state of Georgia. More famous than Kyle Pitts? Yep. More famous than Matty Ice? Yep. Because he's the, the starting quarterback for the biggest brand. When's the last time the best asset on the biggest brand of any brand didn't get anything? You name me a product that that doesn't happen with. That doesn't happen anywhere else. I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest asset for the biggest product, for the biggest brand in the state. What do you get in education? Does that sound fair to you? I'm speaking on behalf of the players because they can't say anything, BJ, because they're there. But you know, just like I know, a guy that was at a school yesterday got that, that 60 years old. Just got $100 million, and he ain't never took a snap. He, he called plays to go, from, to, go, to go from Indiana to Baton Rouge. He got to learn how to eat crawfish, and they're giving him $100 million to do it. Another guy went from Oklahoma, let's see. I'm just saying, for me, BJ, it's, it's a sour subject because people don't – you do, BJ, but people don't understand the sacrifice it takes to be a student athlete. And guess what? 99% of them will never play, and they did it for five, four to six years. I had surgeries, a torn ACLs, a torn ligaments, never got out there. What they got for it? Free education. Cool. I'll take that. But if I got an academic scholarship, that's a free education. If I got a scholarship to go to the school, that's a free education. But I'm one of the biggest ambassadors at this school. And you tell them I can't get nothing to NIL. That's not the school. If the school is off the hook for doing it for the people who make sure they, they stay what they are, how can they not get anything? And I, when people say, what about the education? Being, what about, I'm not saying the education is that. But look, the great, the great Nas said in the movie Belly, when a DMX said, hey, man, I want to take my kid to Africa. You know what DMX told him, man? Your kid can't eat no books, man. They can't eat them books. And BJ, you know, what a, you know what a college education guarantees me when I leave school? Nothing. It don't guarantee me nothing. Debt, maybe. But I'm just saying, I mean, what do you give a player that's giving his all, his or her all to a school? You should give them something, especially when they see him breaking news, $100 million. But yeah, BJ, that's why the money isn't there, BJ, because they're giving it all to one person. Powerful perspective from Ben Troop. I thought uh, Bob Stoops, who is now, yes. I guess, Oklahoma's yes. interim coach. Big fan of his. Big, big, uh, bigger fan now. Had some, had some great thoughts on all this. We'll come back and hear that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio mm-hmm. With us three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Tweet at us at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. Hope you're doing well. A lot of college football news. It's crazy. Uh, and oh, by the way, we have an SEC championship game this weekend that George is in. 
Uh, Georgia, Alabama, I think at last check, Georgia six and a half point favorite, uh, which is interesting. But we're talking about kind of the, the nature of college coaching and, and, and where we are in today's era. And I've been, I know you and, all, you and I saw something on Twitter earlier we wanted to share. This is Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops, former Oklahoma head coach, who, in case you missed it, is going to serve as the coach for the bowl game, for Oklahoma's bowl game with Lincoln Riley uh, moving to SC. And this is Bob Stoops sort of talking about a coach, a program, and, and how it all fits. This job is going to attract the very best in the coaching world, and they're already lined up and calling. Calling Joe, hitting people the way they do. This is a real job. This is a great job, a great university with great leadership. And so our, all you fans, and again, player, parents, everyone, just understand, give it a little bit of time, and you're going to see this is just a little bump in the road. There's not one guy, one person in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. Coach Switzer, myself, or Lincoln Riley. And what I told the players is they are the program. Players throughout these decades, they are OU football, not us as a coach. All right, that, that, that is, I'm in the hall, getting in the Hall of Fame because of them. The players, the coaches around them, all of that. But those players are the ones who are OU football. And, and, and they'll, they'll stick together. They stick together. They'll continue to be OU football, championship football, the way we're used to playing it. And um, you know, I look forward to, you know, to doing everything that I can here in these next few weeks to help it continue to succeed the way it has. This job is. And, and Ben, look, pretty simple. I mean, what he said, but I think it's pretty powerful, too, to say the players are the program. And we all are going to follow the coaching news. It's fascinating. It's interesting. And it does matter. I mean, you have coaches that have transformed programs. Uh, coaches, obviously, are, are, are the starting point And, you know, do all, they're the face of the program, like you said. But I thought that was just really powerful to hear one of the great college football coaches ever. Bob Stoops, who, again, is going to be in an interim role coaching Oklahoma during its bowl game, saying the players are the program. And I know that's something that resonated with you. It does, because he's telling the truth. He wants people to understand that you guys are – he said, listen, me Coach Whistler, he said, my coach – I mean, he's talking about Lincoln Wright, he's talking about himself. He goes, man, we are not OU football. We are the overseers. The OU football are these players. You know, the buys. You know, uh, you know uh, – I mean, P. Ryan and those guys. I mean, uh, Adrian Peterson. It's disrespectful to, for any coach to think anything outside of what Coach Bob Stoops said. Because as great as Bob Stoops is, he said, listen, man, I'm in the Hall of Fame because of these players. I'm in the Hall of Fame because of, the, you know, the Jason Weiss and those guys. And, B.J., that's how it should be. I am, listen, I'm never, ever going to be the one up here bagging, bragging and boasting about what I did as a player, but I will brag and boast about the guys I did it with. I know how hard it is to do this stuff. It took me four years to get it right in Florida. I ain't never thought about leaving. And people don't understand all the things you go through just to make it to the, just to make it to the field on Saturday. So I appreciate Coach Bob Stoops. And like he said, I do agree. OU is still one of the premier coaching destinations in the country. OU is still going to be able to go out there and recruit with the best of them. But make no mistake about it. Those guys with their name on the back, the team logo on the front, and them numbers on their chest, those are the ones that's doing it. Those are the reason why you're showing up. So I appreciate Coach Bob Stoops, man, because I think sometimes, BJ, we, we get caught up in the, the one name instead of the names on the field. 
Without those guys on the field, man, I don't care how good of a coach you got, you're not going to get it done. So shout out to Coach Bob Stoops, man, for keeping it 100. Just telling the truth. It's almost like we, 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 you know, we live in a sensationalized, clickbait society. Now we want those things. No. I know how hard it is to do it. I'm not trying to act as if I'm the latest and the greatest or the creme de la creme, but I know how hard it is to make it on these teams, to practice with these players, to make it on the field, and to do it at a high level. So whether it's Georgia or a no-name team and nobody knows, I respect every last football No, No. I respect every last collegiate athlete. I don't care what school you at because I know how hard it is to sit in those seats. I know how hard it is to maintain that standard, meet those expectations, and to show up every day. So shout out to Coach Bob Stoops, man, for keeping it in the buck, man, telling the truth. So any, anybody that thinks it's the coach first and the player second, you've lost your mind. And I've heard this a couple of times uh, over the last few weeks where, of course, we all know that the coaches are going to be front and center. But I, I've, I've heard pundits, former players, current players, say that the best programs, and I'm sure this is beyond just football, are player-led programs. What, what does that mean? That means, BJ, man, we are, listen, we are the disciplinarians. We the ones that go out there and make sure things get done. We, we police each other. Think about this. Think about LSU for a second. Nick Saban, Les Miles, Coach Ogeron. Different coaches, different players, natties. So the players are getting it done. You know, so for me, I just think that it is player run. I mean, when you talk about a guy, when you talk about these players and how hard it is, to, you, but you have to earn that. Obese. You don't come in as a freshman and understand how to do that. But once you get it, I, I know what it is. I know what it is to go up there and uphold this thing. I'm not – I'm not the first in all these drills because I'm the best athlete. I'm the first in all these drills when I got older because I know I got to lead the way because I was a diligent follower. I used to be the one following behind the leader. Then when I became a leader, I made sure I gave them something worth following. But, yes, the best teams are player-led. You know how I know? Coach Deion, there's a Deion Sanders from the crime, and I hope he has a speedy recovery. Has missed, like, the last month of the season on the sideline. They still, they still lost one game. They still going to the SWAT championship. Why? Because he understands I'm making it about those guys out there. It's almost like as soon as you put the camera on me, no, it's about I tell. I'm one guy, and I appreciate, you know, when one guy gets the credit, but it's, it's about out there, BJ. And you know, just like I know, BJ, I mean, Bobby Bowden, one of the greatest to ever do it. What we always do, defer to his players every single time because he goes, man, I don't do it, man. I get them to believe in themselves through me. Then I put that product out there on the field. So shout out to Coach Bob Stoops, man, for keeping the buck. And anybody that want to come back and say, no, um, do players need discipline? Yes. Do players need structure? Yes. Do coaches play? No. Players do that. Do, do players coach? No. Coaches do that. So if you ain't going to tell me how to, if you ain't, I'm, I'm not going to tell a coach how to coach. Stop telling players how to play. And I'm, talk, and I'm talking about all student athletes, male and female, you know, uh, prestige and not prestigious. Uh, so, Yes, a shout out to Coach Bob Stoops for keeping it in the buck, BJ, because I've always felt that way. But I'd rather it come from a guy like Bob Stoops first because I'm going I'm to I'm yell it to the ceiling because it's always going to be about the players. Well, and I think when you talk about these coaches coming in, huge names, huge salaries, it's going to be really compelling to watch how the expectations ebb and flow because, I, look, Jimbo Fisher, you're getting a lot. Dabo Swinney, you're getting a lot. Nick Saban, you start talking about $100, $115 million. And we talked about this last week. They're not paying you to come in and go seven and five and go to the Alamo Bowl or whatever. I mean, they're not paying you to contend. They're paying you to win. And when the money is is that substantial and that significant, then I don't I don't know that there's any margin for error. I mean, what's amazing about all this is I, 
you sign a 10-year contract. What's the likelihood a coach makes it to 10 years? Zero. Zero percent. And much like, you know, we've seen with the baseball contracts, whatever, if Coach X has a guaranteed 10-year deal and gets fired after four years, he's getting paid to leave. He's getting paid because he failed. And that's what they've negotiated. That's the standard. But the pressure is on these coaches. But the money, the infrastructure, the resources, that's all locked in. That's all locked in. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays itself out. BJ, when you keep on talking about the pressures on these coaches, the pressures on these players. Because the whole thing about it is what the coaches do, he, he gets the expectation. And when I, he gives it to the players, the players right. go out there and, and do it. But I, I, I do understand what you're saying. It's almost like if I'm at LSU and my coaches got that, it ain't no rebuild. If I'm at SC and my coaches got that, Ain't no rebuild. So whether I'm a true freshman, redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, junior, senior, we got to be, we got to jump out here ready to go. Cause it's the thing, BJ, when you go out there and meet expectations at these big time schools, you're the greatest. But people talk about scrutiny, people talk about criticism. Have you ever been a student athlete and you're not performing at a big time program in the in the social media age? That's uh, true. It is rough on them. Cause listen, depression, anxiety, it's a real thing. And we're trying to figure it out as adults who've got bills and responsibilities. What about when I'm trying to figure out life as a 17 to 24 year old trying to meet these expectations? Oh, when I still got class. Oh, when I'm still a person. Oh, when I'm still a college. I'm, I'm still a college student that want to experience the college life. Oh, but I got I got Alabama on Saturday, so let me get let me get ready for that. So I mean, and so and so BJ, you talking about the coaches? The stress level is only going to go up for these players too. The bigger the coach, the bigger the school. <laughs> the bigger the expectation for them players. Oh, well said. And and a lot of news, uh, the coaching carousel, salaries, transfer portal. Yes. Want to come back and update some of that when we come back. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Everything, keeping up with all the news. I think the transfer portal has become just a endless flow of information. And, and look, you're wishing all these guys the best. I think players, for various reasons, trying to uh, find new destinations. Maybe it's playing time. Maybe it's proximity. Uh, maybe it's a coaching change. But a lot of names uh, in the transfer portal. And we mentioned yesterday you saw Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs enter the portal. Uh, one of the, I'd say, probably seven or eight best running backs in all of college football. Well, today Jordan Yates, their starting quarterback, uh, entered the transfer portal. So you've had some uh, pretty substantial moves, uh, star players, proven players, prominent players. But uh, Georgia Tech has had some high-profile guys uh, enter the portal, the, uh, portal the last couple of days. Yeah, BJ, that's that's kind of going to be the trickle the trickle down effect. I mean, you think about the Tennessee Vols last year. How bad, uh, you know? Yeah, I think did, over thirty guys. Yeah, did they did they suffer from the transfer portal when obviously uh, you know Jeremy Pruitt they moved on from Jeremy Pruitt? But then when you think about Oklahoma, a bunch of their star recruits that were supposed to be going to Oklahoma has decided to uh, decommit uh, from Oklahoma. Probably going to try to either follow Lincoln Riley out to SC or just go elsewhere. But I credit all these players. I don't want to hear nothing about a player doing what's best for him. Because these coaches that speak about loyalty and sticking with it, and we're trying to build something. Well, I will say this, and and we all, we've talked about this, but it, it has become more common, understandably, for players to back out of bowl games if they're getting ready for you know a professional opportunity that could change their lives. Uh, and you've seen a lot of negative feedback to that of how could you not play in the you know uh, soda bowl or whatever when yeah you might be a first round pick but you owe it to play in the soda bowl. A coach just left a team that might be in the college football playoff. 
and sent a text yep. the night, and, and 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 then I believe uh, the night of, and then had like a ten minute meeting the morning of. Yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. Woke, woke the players up at seven. No, no, woke the players up for a seven o'clock meeting, seven a.m. Mind you, uh, just to have eleven minute meeting. That's disrespectful to the players. And BJ, once again, we got to do this again. We need to stop this, people. We need to stop acting as if you know Coach Kelly or Jimbo or Lincoln Riley. They're they're uh, the only thing they have, you know, affiliations with, or the only thing they care about is their missus and their children. Because the thing about it is, BJ, the business of college football will always supersede the game of college football. The, the business is going on all the time. You know why? Because Chip, I mean, because uh, uh, you know, because Coach Kelly and those guys, they got this thing called what's the name? Uh, agents, managers, publicists, lawyers, people that work on their behalf, always looking out for their best interests. You know who speaks on behalf of the players? Nobody. Think about that. Nobody speaks on behalf of the players. Oh, they got NILs. That's not coaches. Oh, they got ADs. That's not for the players. That's for the schools. What about the president? The president's running. So I just think that for these players, it's the hardest decision a player going to make is what school you go to. The second hardest decision is do I stick, do I stick with it Because uh, when a new coach comes in? Because the one, the unfortunate part about it is the new coach that comes in, SC, all those players ain't going to be there. Under Coach Riley. All, LSU, all those players aren't going to be there under Coach Kelly. Whoever comes in the OU and Virginia Tech and Florida and Washington, Washington State, and so on and so forth. So, TCU. So, so, and that's what we don't talk about, right? What about a player that sticks, that stays with the school they chose, even if they the coach that chose them, and they on the team in the year? They're gone. So, BJ, it's, it's cutthroat. It's not, it's not this. Skipping through the park, you know, happy go luck. These coaches trying to go to the highest bidder. They're trying to get as much money as they can for the most prestigious school they can. And think about that. And people say Brian Kelly went to LSU to win a natty. He could have won a natty this year if his team gets in. Do we really care about the natty? He cares about the money. He cares about the prestige. He cares about the status. And I, he cares about the power that comes with it because he had power, you know. South Bend, now he got power in Baton Rouge, BJ. And just like we said, uh, Sean Payton was the most famous coach in Louisiana. <laughs> now he is not. That would be Brian Kelly, who just turned 60 years old on November 25th. My sister's birthday. Shout out to my sister. Yes, BJ, I do get caught up in these birthdays. You have I, an amazing – hold on a second. No, no, no. Forget all the college football stuff. Cam knows this too now. I will come to you in the show meeting, okay, in the morning, and I will say, hey, man, uh, could we try to get – I don't know, this player on. And you'll go, DJ Shockley, like today. And you'll go, oh, yeah, man, his birthday is, uh, he was born in 19. And I'm sitting here going, why do you know that? How do you know that? You know Brian Kelly's birthday? I, I, I can't help it, man. It just, I've always been like that. I've always been like that, but I. I it's oh, yeah, so- Philip Rivers. He was born in 81. He was born in 81. He was born a year, he was born a year before. Uh, you know, and what's bad is because I'm around you so much, I'm learning this via osmosis. So now when I'm so now when I'm out and about and somebody says, Oh, LeBron James, I go, ah, oh, 1984. Because because of you. December 1984, by by, by the that's, way. I mean that's incredible. <laughs> or John Elway. And I'm like, ah, oh, I mean I'm, I'm just Hold saying. on, what is John Elway? Uh, I just that was a random athlete that came. I mean, that's got to, <laughs> I mean I don't know. Maybe I, we shouldn't go that I, far. No, no, back. I, I, I just I, I just think the two BJ, we're gonna have to do a better job of making sure people understand what college what college athletics really is. It's a business. 
And we think, but it's amateurism into being. No, that's what they say to keep from paying the players. It's not really amateurism. Why? Because, listen, my, my child plays soccer, right? Amateur. You know why? Because they because we don't we don't they they are not giving them better facilities. You know we get them a uniform, we get them some cleats, we show up at a location, we play. They only, they're not in hundred million dollar facilities, BJ. They don't have a ten, they don't have a one point two billion dollar budget at Florida for the next ten years. Think about that. When people talk about amateurs, amateurs, that that to me that's the most disrespectful part, and that's all collegiate athletes. That's all of them. Grant Holloway, track star at Florida. What did he just do this summer? He's second. He's the second in yeah, the sil- world. Silver medalist, yeah. So, amateur? Now, so, all I'm saying, BJ, is we're going to have to do a better job of, sh- of shaping these narratives, creating these narratives, and staying on the powers that be. Because I'm sorry. If one man is making $15 million a year and he doesn't have to win the natty, could you imagine if a player was getting a million, he's going to have to do something for that million. Well, he's already doing it. I mean, I'm just saying right now. Yeah. Tim Tebow, still get still still getting talked about with Florida. What year was he work? born in? Nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar Jackson, twenty-four. I think he was born in 1996. This is an amazing. This is an amazing game. Uh, just, Kyle Pitts, two thousand. Kyle Pitts, 2000. See, now that's going to happen to me. I'm going to be out somewhere, and Kyle Pitts is going to catch a touchdown. I'm going to go, oh, Kyle Pitts, 2000. No, no, no. And, I mean, yeah, Kyle, and yeah, everybody's Kyle. looking at me. No, I, I, will, I will say this. I mean, you know, uh, you know, RG3, I see, let's see, Cam New was born in 89. Eli Manning, 83, 82. What is Eli, it? Eli, Eli Manning. 1982. Born, Eli Manning was born in 19, I think it was born in 1980. He's two years older. Eli ben, Manning. Ben, ben Watson, 1980. Same draft class. You born two years older. This is this hat. Like I'll be at my house trying to watch a basketball game. You know, maybe a certain team play college basketball, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I go, "Oh, JJ Watt, 1989." He is born 1989. Well, I don't know if he is or not, but that's he your is. fault. He born 1989. This has to stop. Von Miller, 1989. Uh, I want to say it right too. Uh, Julio Jones, 1989. AJ Green, 1988. Same draft class though. Woo. <laughs> Any thoughts on this, Cam? Or, I mean, this is. He should have known that. Yeah. No, 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 yep. in, a, no, in, a, in a sense, though, because I'll be trying to put context on. I mean, I'm just saying, no, this is what it really is. When I, when, when I was coming up, I would always say we, 1990 was always the barometer. I mean, somebody born in 1990, they 18. Somebody born in 1990 is 31. So, so, so at what age is somebody old? Would you say, like, once you're maybe, like, 39 or so? No, no, no. Oh, what oh, about, like, 39? No, no, here, here it is. No, what if you're 39? No, no. This is old. Old is, do you tuck your T-shirts in? Your shorts. Now think about that, BJ. Please don't. If you took the two things, if you tuck your t-shirts and your shorts, listen, and you wearing tube socks, but you have, but listen, but you don't have on no nice kicks. What if it's just like the plain New Balances? Listen, if you went to a store and you went up to the plain New Balance, you got saw the plain New Balance, and you picked it up and yelled at. Y'all got this in mind. You should be beat. You know, somebody should do something. You know what Kevin would say? Kevin would say, "I don't care. I don't care." I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't, listen, I, all, all I'm saying is, can't listen. I was born in 82. Cam was born in 99. Cam, Cam You know when Cam was born? Yeah, Cam. 98. 98. I'm sorry. Listen, listen. Sneakerhead in 98. Sneakerhead in 82. I will not have the swag that Cam does, but I will never tuck in my T-shirt to do nothing. So shout out to my daddy who tucks in his T-shirt to, quote, 
Go go to the refrigerator and get his candy. Hold on, gotta go to the store. Let me tuck in my, my t-shirt real quick. Papa B, what tucking in a t-shirt for what? Got a pocket on the front of the t-shirt. And you're and, and you're tucking it in. All right. Hey, college football playoff poll tonight. Does anyone care? Uh, yes, BJ. I, I, I kind of want to see what they're going to do with, with, with Cincinnati again because I think they are the most intriguing. And once again, Michigan, unfortunately, the brand. Uh, the brand. I want to see where they're going to put them at. Jim Harbaugh, 1965. I, I don't know. He probably, he probably was in the 60s because he's in his 50s. So I think Dion was born in like 69. You don't know what Prime was what, what, about, what, what about Coach Saban? What about Coach Tucker? What about Coach? I mean, I mean, we can do this all day. We'll come Coach, back. Coach Saban, I think, is 69. He ain't 70 yet. Okay, that's good news. All right, we'll come back with more. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Being with us this afternoon, we'll have Kevin Thomas back on the program tomorrow. On Thursday, we're going to broadcast live from Coach's Corner in Savannah. I think we're going to be, be there along with Christian Gokel of Second Down. So, two to six, come by, say hello. We'd love to chat with you. A lot to talk about. And the college football playoff rankings, the latest edition, will come out tonight. Given the games we have coming up this weekend, I don't really know how much that matters because teams are going to kind of work their way through it or not uh, this weekend. Now, if you're Notre Dame, maybe you're intrigued about where you are, and, and this will affect, of course, the New Year's Six games and all like that. But in terms of the college football playoff, I don't know that anything – groundbreaking, Ben, is going to happen tonight that's going to change the dynamic of what's ahead. No, because a lot of these teams are going to play each other, BJ. I mean, you, you feel good for a team like Michigan that was able to finally get over the hump against an Ohio State team that's been a nemesis. I've been a thorn in their side for a very, very long time. I think I think every great former Michigan player was out there on the field. Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson, Juwan Howard was out there. Chris Webber might have been out there. Jalen Rose might have been out there to congratulate Coach Harbaugh. But it's all about Cincinnati, BJ, because, one, they put them at five. We thought they wouldn't move at five. They go to four. Do they stay in that top four? And, and BJ, will it all come down to nothing at the end of, at the, on our Saturday with all this talk about you know, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati? They find it and, and they have that championship game fatigue. They have their bad game, end up losing, and somebody else gets in, maybe a Notre Dame. Well, Cam was saying keep an eye on uh, Houston earlier. They're, they're in the national top 25. That's who Cincinnati has to beat in the act. Championship game. I do that because of Kevin. Okay, <laughs> Kevin's been calling it the act. Hey, now, BJ, let, let's just say this: We know that Georgia's there no matter what. We know that Alabama and all these different games. What if at the end of all this, with all, with all the chaos from the coaches to Georgia to the defense, all these Cincinnati ends up winning the national championship? Would, would not would not stun would, me. Would, would that be the reason why? Other would that be what it would take for the quote mid major to uh, finally? Get over the hump. Maybe. I mean, you probably I, – I, I don't know that it would change much at the end of the day, but that would not stun me. Would it surprise me? Yes. Would it stun me? No. This team – Cincinnati's probably going to have more first-round picks this spring than Georgia. Uh, it's a very, very talented team, and it's going to be fun to see what happens. Uh, on Thursday, we will chat with Kennesaw State head coach Brian Bohannon. They are into the second round of the FCS playoffs. I love the FCS playoffs. Division One FCS playoffs. They will take on East Tennessee State out of the SOCON. So a SOCON team in ETSU, uh, coached by Randy Sanders, who has been with a number of ACC, SEC programs, will take on Kennesaw State. Who? He's one the ET. Oh, the owl. The owl. <laughs> Who? That, Who? That's my favorite thing oh, of is, all is, time. Is that what Christian was doing? And, and listen, and, and before we get out of here, BJ want to talk trash about me knowing people's ages and all this other kind of stuff. Coach Saban is 70 already. He already had a birthday. Talk to BJ and, and his love, his love for college mascots. We saw the Hilltopper, and BJ lost his, and the Hilltopper 
He's on some controversy. At yeah, the time. yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were talking with Coach Spurrier, and I left y'all to go get a picture with the hill. Anna, uh, who was the uh, who was the singer there? Uh, you were hanging out with Coach Spurrier, and I can't think of this. Uh, can't think of his name. It'll it'll come it'll come to us right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right but when BJ, I BJ knows, sings that song. No, no, honey. I mean, I mean, BJ, BJ, we know who BJ's favorite uh, college mascot is, unfortunately. But BJ is a lover of all college mascots. Who? <laughs> Kennesaw State. And shout, and shout out to the shout to Clears out there for the for the Super Roosters back in the day when Just I was at my, okay. my, my, my grandma house. But we'll chat with uh, Brian Bohannon coming up on Thursday is uh, Kennesaw State competing for a national championship uh, in the FCS. We'll see you tomorrow. For Cam Ben, BJ Bennett here with you three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.